Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, welcome to episode 379 with my guest, uh, Nora McInerney, uh, who's the host of Terrible Thanks for Asking. We recorded this one live in uh, Minneapolis uh two weekends ago super excited for you guys to hear this she is uh she's an awesome guest and um just a great human being uh all right now i'm starting to suck up to her right now i should balance it with saying some bad things about her but i don't know her well enough to say any bad things so if you guys know any personal bad things about nora send them to me and then i'll say them next week so that I can strike a nice balance. <laughs> um, want to, uh, any of you considering helping the podcast out financially, I'm now able to take donations through Zelle. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, it's uh, Z-E-L-L-E. And uh, you can send it to the uh, email address mentalpod at gmail.com. Um I I was in my support group um, tonight, and the subject of God came up, which is a it can be a pretty intense topic sometimes because some people um, vigorously believe in God, and some people vigorously believe there isn't a God, and some people are kind of in between. I'm kind of one of the people that like well, you know, the belief in something that is bigger than me, where love emanates from and embodies all the principles I strive to be, if that entity exists, that that is God to me. I don't know if it exists, but I know that when I pretend like it does um, and try to connect to it, my life has a way of working out. But um, I was thinking about the God that I used to believe in. Uh, when I was raised in, in Catholic school. And, I, you know, I don't want to shit on, on the Catholic uh, religion. First of all, I think the teachings of Jesus are beautiful. They're perfect. I think it's the rest of the Bible that I have a problem with. 
because like the idea of hell, that if you fuck up beyond a certain point, and it's not even a point that we can necessarily say, you got to kind of guess whether or not you've been good enough. If you weren't, you will burn forever. That's not the kind of God I can get behind. That's a fucking sadist. And my personal opinion is that these things were constructed by human beings in search of power when the church was more central to politics in the Middle Ages and after. Um, and I think it fucks a lot of people up. Um, and I'm not going to blame it for the negative voice in my head, but it it doesn't help because I still have vestiges of that. You made a mistake or you did something selfish or you're not working hard enough, especially that one. My God, every day I struggle with the thought that you are lazy and you are not doing enough and you're going to look back and you're going to regret all this time that you wasted. And I would never say that to a friend of mine. Um, why would, why do we say those things to ourselves? And I don't have an answer for that, but maybe it's so that we can continue thinking about ourselves. Maybe it's a, a loophole to continue to be selfish is to pretend that we're actually disciplining ourselves. But I don't know. It, it was a really interesting conversation and, um, it, my life changed once I got rid of that idea of there's something hovering over me waiting for me to fuck up so it can barbecue me. <laughs> and, and, and when I was sitting in the meeting, I just started thinking about this entity, whether it's a conscious entity or not. You know, maybe it's an entity like gravity that just is, but, about it loving me unconditionally, warts and all, mistakes and all, and really loving me, uh, I started to get a little teary. And I want to keep going in that direction because it. I'm tired of beating myself up. I'm tired of it. I work my fucking ass off in therapy and support groups and reading things, and that voice is still... It's still there. I suppose it's a lifelong process. Anyway, I want to read an email I got from a listener who calls herself Alex, and she writes, My husband tells me that I know I'm the one for him, but all I can do is stare at the blank space in our living room wall that is the perfect amount of space to run into headfirst and wonder if I'm strong enough to make a death-worthy impact. It's either this or the long, heavy-duty nail holding up our fruit basket. Could I become sad enough to hammer it into my own wrists after he falls asleep? The nail currently holds the fruit basket and nine tangerines, uh, nine tangerines inside the limp ass net I bought them in. How do I measure? At least then he could be the type of ambition, he could be with the type of ambition based, money hungry, goal achieving, competitive trash bitch he wants me to be. I'm sure she'd still hug our sons every now and again. If I go, now, then she will probably be the only mother they know. Maybe they'll grow up to value success and goals and money instead of my dumb fucking love bullshit. Sorry, Paul, but you're the only one I thought of that might actually want to hear this. Um, and, you know, I wrote her back and said, thank you um, for sharing that. And could I 
read this on air because I wanted to, I wanted to talk about this because I, whereas obviously there, there's probably some hyperbole in, in hers and, you know, she's trying to inject some humor into it. The truth, uh, is the truth underneath it, which is that she's miserable in her marriage and she's married to a guy who has different priorities than her. And two things occurs to me is number one, you got to start communicating with this fucking guy because it's not about a test of wills. Um, who, who is going to, you know, stick harder to what it is that, that they want or who's going to give into the other person and walk around resentfully that first of all, you only go around once. Why would you do that? Uh, and number two, that is going to be a horrible role model for your kids growing up. They're going to think that that is what commitment looks like, is two people that have no intimacy at all. Because if you can't talk to your husband about this mismatch that you're having, uh, there's no chance for intimacy. And you can't blame him for the entire marriage if you are staying in this you know that's that's your part in this is that you chose him and you chose to have a child with him and i'm not saying that to make you feel bad i'm just trying to show you where your responsibility in getting out of this or helping rectify this is and my suggestion would be to get into joint counseling so that you can have a a um impartial third party there um that can kind of keep things hopefully diplomatic or at the very least be a place where you can both vent whatever whatever it is that you're feeling and and get that that perspective because man that's a big gap um, between two people intending to spend their lives together. Um, but it's no matter what happens, listen to your gut and what you want because, um, not being a materialistic person, um, is, uh, not something that, that, um, I don't, I don't suggest you giving up your discomfort with pursuing a life of materialism because you will be, you will feel dead on the inside, which it sounds like you are feeling right now. So the question is, do you want to work hard enough to be able to make an educated, emotionally educated decision about your relationship with this guy? And to take a good look at what's going on inside you so that you can, if you do walk away, you can say, well, I tried as hard as I could to express my needs and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then you'll have peace of mind no matter what the decision is. But if you just sit there and you resent him, that's not going to help anything. And that's, that's not good for your kids. Again, I'm not a therapist, but I once made lasagna on basic cable and we showed a semi-popular movie that a lot of people enjoyed. Um, I want to read an awful moment uh, that... Actually, do I want to read this one yet? <laughs> no, I don't want to read this one yet. I'm sorry, I just got my papers mixed up. This uh, This is a different awful moment. And uh, this was written by... 
This is written by a guy who calls himself Black Cat Smith. And uh, he writes, while I've known I need proper support for my depression and anxiety, the last two years have been tough to find someone in my area. I either would try to find someone and give up or, quote, not be able to find the time for help. Because if I don't do everything possible to be better in the eyes of those around me, I might as well do nothing at all. Well, after a Herculean effort that took only about an hour, I found a new therapist, an older lady who would bring her adorable dog with her to our sessions. Uh, the cutest Australian shepherd this side of the Mississippi would curl up at my feet during the hour. Though my therapist was maybe too similar to her dog, as she had a habit of closing her eyes sometimes during our sessions. While this bothered me, I tried to put it out of my head, saying, you're just overreacting. Stop trying to sabotage the only step in the right direction you've made in the last six to nine months in similar, completely true thoughts. Though our last... Though... In our last session, while I was describing my isolation and how I don't feel an emotional connection to my parents, she actually fell asleep. Yes, Paul, you read that right. My therapist nodded off as I was talking about feeling all alone in the world. Uh, she came to pretty quickly, and I was so mixed up in my own head at that moment, I just acted as if nothing had happened, and so did she. After that, I ghosted and never had contact with her again. Feeling like there wasn't a way to deal with my depression, I got back into smoking weed and used that to numb out for a couple of months while I let my responsibilities slip in what I imagine would have looked like a landslide from the outside in. But I've just found a new therapist that is amazing in all the ways my last one was terrible. And being able to talk honestly and openly again with someone has been the most freeing feeling I've had in quite some time. And I want to read, I wanted to read that for a couple of reasons. One, it, it's fucking awfulsome. And, um, it's so great that you didn't give up. That you, you didn't say, well, that person, all therapists are like that. I had a therapist that I let go who would bring her dog, uh, into the sessions, which wasn't a problem, except the dog didn't sit still. And it was, it would constantly interrupt my train of thought. And, um, and then she would forget what we had talked about and she was just really scatterbrained and i used it as a an opportunity to practice standing up for myself and i actually i couldn't do it face to face i wasn't that strong but i left her a voice message and or maybe i emailed her i can't remember which one but i said this is really hard for me to do but I know as a therapist, you would know this is a healthy thing, but um, these things uh, bother me in our relationship, and I no longer have uh, the confidence in our sessions that I used to, and so I am moving on, but thank you, and um, and you did help me with things, and I felt good. I felt clean. Here, speaking of therapy, uh, I've mentioned that BetterHelp.com is one of our therapists, and this is... A, an email that I got from a listener uh, who calls herself Aspie Fainting Goat. And uh, she writes, I wanted to write a testimony for better help. Uh, I heard about it from the show and it's really helped me so much. I love my counselor. I just have to say being an Aspie, for those of you that don't know, it means somebody um, on the autism spectrum, uh, and having executive function disorder, this is just much 
a much better format for me than traditional counseling. I live in a small town and wouldn't have found someone who understands and had experience with people with Asperger's. It's great to not have to get out of bed, get clothes on, get in the car, drive somewhere, find a parking spot, deal with all the anxiety of seeing people, and repeat. To be able to do once-a-week phone calls and texts during the week has really saved me. So, when I'm in a lot of pain, uh, and I struggle with chronic pain as well, or can't function enough to get out of bed, I can still access someone who can help. And the texting format during these spells is really, really much better for me too. As someone with Asperger's, I can really break down what's going on much better. Thanks so much. Uh, so yeah, if you want to check out BetterHelp.com, um, uh, there are uh, a variety of ways you can communicate uh, with your therapist uh, through email, through video, live text, chat, phone, uh, whatever. You can work that out with them. So go to uh, uh, BetterHelp.com slash mental, fill out a questionnaire, and then they'll match you with a BetterHelp.com counselor, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if uh, if it's right for you. And try to remember to include the slash mental uh, after BetterHelp.com, because then they'll know you came from uh, from our website or our show, or whatever the hell this thing is that I do. And then finally, this is an awfulsome moment that I just, uh, uh, I just love this. It's, it's, I think it actually could be a happy moment, but um, this is filled out by Sylvia Plath Wannabe. And she writes, I was babysitting my close friend's grandsons. They were maybe about three and four years old at the time, and seeing these two little guys always makes my heart smile. The oldest of the two has the cutest, biggest pink lips and gives the sweetest smooches, which we call platypus kisses. Anyway, he was sitting on my lap with my arm around him when he saw the sore on my knuckle. This sore has appeared and disappeared throughout the last year or so of my life. It's from my eating disorder, and it's caused by the friction between my knuckle and teeth when I'm purging. When he saw it, he asked if it was a boo-boo. Usually when someone asks me about it, I give them some little lie and redirect conversation without a second thought. But coming from him, it was so unexpected. Though it flustered me, I told him yes, it was a boo-boo. He then proceeded to kiss it to make it feel better. I wish I had the words to describe the full magnitude of that moment. He saw what could be the smallest symptom of my eating disorder. He didn't ask what it was from. I didn't have to explain it away. All he wanted was just for me to feel better. There's a part of me inside that I don't want anyone to know about because it's weird and gross and lame and people will hate me. It was so hard to be on the planet. Just doom, people-pleasing, dread, silent, invisible, just wailing, stuck in the grip of the obsession, derealization, depersonalization, the suicidal ideation. I was so embarrassed and so full of shame. If I don't get help and get what I need to get, you know, I did some horrible, horrible things. Then I'm not going to be here much longer. God, I wish I could go back and undo them, but I can't. So snipers would shoot in our sides. My father was a notorious pimp in Boston. I can't do this anymore. It was kind of like Scarface. You can change somebody's life just by listening. Through vulnerability, uh, comes healing. It felt like I'd been holding a sword and shield, and I dropped them. And to this day, I have never had a better night's sleep. I started crying in a job interview saying, <laughs> and I was like, LA is hard, man. LA is so hard. <laughs> and I, I didn't get that job. <laughs> <laughs> 
She's the host of Terrible Thanks for Asking. Uh, she's an author. She's a fundraiser. She's a champion of many things. Please welcome Nora McInerney. <laughs> I was just standing back there the whole time, so I totally know who's here for me. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) For you, you, I washed my hair. (laughs) Today. Those are some clogs you got, They're made in Minnesota. Yeah. They're made in Minnesota. They're Sven clogs. Sven clogs, ladies. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. They make them for men, too. But, um... Yeah, they're wonderful clogs, uh, along with my dead husband's socks. <laughs> are yeah. they? They are, yeah. What? what Kept f- all of his socks. What are The man your- had good socks. I was like, all my to- socks are from Target? I was like looking through his drawers. I'm like, how much were we spending on socks? <laughs> like a lot. He had multiple pairs of the same J. Crew socks. They're like $10 a pair. And I was wearing C9. C9. Not even a full champion. Just C9 by champion. What's What's C9? It's a sub brand. Oh, it's okay. It's a diffusion line for okay. Target. Okay? okay, it's not even a champion. It is a like a championish. Okay, it's, a, it's an economy sock. Okay, your yeah. seat, your your feet uh, fly economy. Yeah, they did. Yes. Not anymore. <laughs> took his took his seat. It's time to upgrade to business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much that that we can talk about. Um, first of all. Uh, the na- the name of your book because I know I'm going to fuck it up. Um, it's okay to laugh parentheses, but crying's cool too. No, but however, however you type it in, it'll just like come up on the internet. So don't. Spoil so you it. don't even know. That's what I don't you're even saying. No, it's just like it's okay to laugh, and then um, usually photos of like babies falling will come up, or just something like that. And then like the third result is like my book. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. The first one that comes up is babiesfalling.com. Exactly. Which is one of the sickest pornography sites I have ever, ever, ever masturbated to. Okay, I just wanted to gauge where your line was. Um, Where do we begin? You know what? How about we start with you kind of painting a picture of where you were raised, what family uh, life was like, the emotional temperature in your house. Yeah. Anywhere from ice cold to boiling hot, like any good Catholic family. Uh, I grew up in South Minneapolis. Uh, Got one small woo out there. Um, I grew up in South Minneapolis. I went to De La Salle High School because, yeah. Get out of here. What year? 72. 72. We did not know each other. That's okay. That's okay. I went after they let girls in, obviously. And That uh, upset him that they let girls in. It, it upset my father, too, and he was an alumni. He's like, well, I guess you can go to my school. They let anyone in now. So... And they did, so that's how I got in. But in Minnesota, if someone asks, like, where'd you go to school? And you're like, Harvard. They're like, no, 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 high school. So yeah. that's why I say that. Um, also, no one here went to Harvard. <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrible school. Um, actually, one time on my podcast, I said a joke. I said, oh, Princeton, never heard of it. And a man, obviously, emailed, emailed me to say, if this woman has a podcast, she should know what Princeton is. As if you have to be smart to have a podcast. As right. if, like, the barrier is, like... What colleges have you heard of? Like, 
And I love, too, that the person that went to Princeton was the dummy in the thing. <laughs> you know? It's like, you're proving my point here. Yeah. Um, I got to okay. say, though, I'm a bit of a Harvard fucker, theoretically, <laughs> uh, because... Uh, I got divorced a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, and I'm just starting to online date. And when a profile comes up and it says that she went to Harvard, I always swipe right. And, and, I, and I'm like, what are you doing? You, don't, you didn't even look at her profile. You just saw she went to Harvard. And, I, and a part of my brain goes, yeah, but if everything goes downhill for you, she's probably a moneymaker and she's, she's cute. First of all, I love that you're swiping right on like who's the most successful woman. Oh, like, totally. That I get. Not like who's right. Like that's wonderful. Like yes, swipe right on like any like who is who is like just crushing it. This one went to Harvard. Yes, don't even need to look at the pictures. That's yeah. all you need oh, to know. Ivy League. I'm I'm yeah. always to the right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Younger me would have been like, oh, I can't see your boobs. How am I? Yeah. How am I? How am I gonna know? But yeah. it's yeah. like. Yeah, I think you asked about my childhood, and uh, no, let's talk about. I immediately just started talking trash about a stranger on the internet because yes. that's what the internet does to me, and we, why we should unplug it, and except for podcasts, which I would just deliver to you via cassette if it came to that. So um, I grew up in South Minneapolis. I'm one of four children. I'm the third. Um, I mean, I wrote about it in my book, so it's just like out there. Which I told my parents is like, don't you? Or my dad was dead when my book came out. It's kind of a plot line, kind of a plot point, so it's okay. It's on the back of the book. I'm not ruining anything for you. So, um, But I told my mom, I was like, don't you love David Sedaris books? And she's like, yes. And I was like, remember that. <laughs> like, like, you know, just remember that. Um, and I don't even think she's read my book. She said she did, like, I sent her a PDF and she what? did like a command find for, <laughs> Wait. for the word mom. Wait, I hold could on. be wrong. She could have read it at this hold point. On. The fact that you don't even know if your mom read your memoir. She lived it, so she's probably like, I know this. <laughs> she's like, I was wow. there. It's, um, plus then she would have like fact-checked it or something. But um, I don't know. I was like part of a... Are we still talking about my childhood? Were we trying to? Yeah, I'm so yeah. sorry. Um, I, have, I have ADD. I just wing it. Okay? I can't... I don't take anything for Good. it because okay. I would forget. <laughs> so... Mm. This is just my train of thought is like, just jump in the tracks. And yeah. now it's going through your neighborhood. Um, and so do I remember my childhood? Yeah, because I have journals that documented every moment of my childhood. Wait, a teenage girl kept a journal? Oh, no. From age... From Please age, don't tell me there was poetry in it. From, oh, there's worse. There was like songs I wrote. Fuck. Do you remember the lyrics to any of them? Oh. You gotta hit us with some. Especially if there's a melody. Oh, there's a melody? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have everybody and put your drinks know, down. This is like, I'm just living a nightmare where I'm going to just reveal to you. It was so horrifying to read this page recently in um, one of my journals that I like held it in my hand like, I'll burn it. And I was like, no, it's a, it's a part of me. And it wouldn't matter if I burned it. Because it's still in my head. I had a crush on a boy and he didn't like me because I was... Um, ugly and uh, and I knew it so then I was also mean about it <laughs> like I was like I just was very interesting looking and I had all of the same features I do now but I also was the same height but also like 80 pounds lighter and also with braces and I had the same haircut as a teacher at my school 
And I didn't know that when I showed up for ninth grade. Oh, but I. For those like, listening, Nora is six feet tall. So And now I like it. Now I'm wearing three inch clogs and I'm like, th- my current husband is like, claims on his license to be 5'11". He's 5'10". <laughs> with his shoes on. But, uh, but at the time I was like, I was not into being that tall. And so I was always like sort of trying to like, just... Tall girl shoulders. Yeah, just like sort of like, I just looked like one of those dolls or one of those puppets if you squeeze it, like it collapses a little. So I just always looked like that. Like maybe people will think I'm just 5'11". <laughs> the girls with the big boobs do that too yeah, with the, with the shoulders. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my diaries were interesting and very intense Mm -hmm. and I was like a very meticulous keeper of every like minor infraction Um, like in my family uh, friends strangers just always like keeping score on like the whole world like who sucked who was okay just like constant ranking system so I can like track um, the trajectory of my um, like anxiety and also uh, just like anger uh, mm-hmm. through those through those journals. When you say that you were ranking people, was it a literal ranking or just uh, I love him this week, I hate her this week? It was like a constant tally down to like minute details well, of look, every interaction that Phil. I had with people. So it'd be like who, my mother, what got the meanest mom award, meanest mom award underlined. Why for constantly taking my little brother's side when forever. <laughs> Like, and like just written as if it were like a press release. <laughs> and I truly believed that I would keep all these journals and then I would die and historians would find them and use them to like piece together the life of a child in 1992. And so I would sometimes put in like details about like where something was like in the city. I'd be like, I went to the, you know, the new temporary Washburn library at 46th and Nicollet. You take the four bus to get there. It costs no. a quarter. Yes. I was truly projecting into the future where like, you know, somebody would go into an attic and like find my what's this and open it and be like oh goodness you now we know what 1992 was like and we know where the washburn library was you managed to perfectly combine grandiosity self-pity and codependence yeah that is an achievement Mm -hmm. and i was only 10 so so you you were you were writing it as if somebody is going to read this Mm -hmm. And they need help. They need help to know, piece it all. I need to do the legwork for them. Yes, yes. I don't need them to have them go to the library and find oh. out where's the washburn, no, you no, know, no. whatever. I don't need them to think, like, I wonder who Lillian is, because I would say, parentheses, my cousin, mm-hmm. daughter of my mother's sister, Rita. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Just I don't say case. wow like that often on the podcast, but... Just in case. Like, I would just, like, cite. I would just, like, give people, you know, like, footnotes. Like, no, when I talk about this person, like, this is... Remember... It's yes. Yeah. Yes, this is the same girl who did this. Yeah. Who in your 10-year-old brain, who do you think you were speaking to writing this? I was very into um archaeology at the time, just very into the idea that everything would someday be buried and like everything in our world would just be un- under just a layer of earth and people would be digging it up and so someone would dig and like find my house. And I didn't know a lot about archaeology. I just was into the idea of it. 
and they would they would you know dust off like the top oh what is this the top of the house and they get in and you know they're like oh what are all these things whipping you know sheets off because before our house was covered in earth we you know we cleaned up we tidied and then they'd find a box and in the box would be all these pristine journals and it would they would just be a lucky young archaeologist and across the way, they'd hear somebody say, I found braces. Yeah. No, headgear. I didn't headgear. keep my braces. I kept my headgear. headgear. They throw their braces away, but they let you keep the headgear. Uh, I do want to congratulate you on uh, trying to get out of uh, recounting the song, but that's not going to oh, work. Oh, it's not. So. Guess what? I was hoping we'd come back to it. Oh, okay. Also, now remember, this was written by a girl who did have headgear that she had to put on after school right away and didn't realize that it wasn't cool. Had like an inkling maybe that she shouldn't bring it to sleepovers, but didn't stop her. Did anyway. Oh. Did it anyways. So you were the person whose hand they put in the water. I don't think that even needs to be surmised. No. I was just like, I was just, I was definitely sleeping alone because it was like, it made a lot of noise if I uh, turned my head. So um, the song is called, I'll just sing it for you. You can just like decide what it's called. Um, You are so brave, by the way. You are so brave. Or Does anyone stu- have like a like a I don't know like a banjo or something? There's actually one in the back. Someone have something. I need like accompaniment. Um, okay, so it goes: Don't fall in love with a football player because all he knows are plays, and he will play just like the game he loves. But he's not gonna love you. That's the chorus. <laughs> That's the chorus. This dude was not playing anyone. He was. He looked like a human mushroom, but he didn't like. He just didn't like me, and I was like, oh, "It's no good, <laughs> guys. Guys, trouble." Like he would just. I'm, he just went home and played like video games with his friends, and was like, "I guess that weird girl likes me." <laughs> And I was like, just in, I was in my journal every night, just like, he looked at me twice in Spanish. So what is that? Okay? Like, what is that? And then later, he asked my friend Aaron for a pencil. I have pencils. So that is my song. There are other, like, I can't remember those, but I know, I know the chorus by heart. And every once in a while, it gets in my head because it's catchy. You know? And I feel like had I had more talent, I, I would be the Taylor Swift that we're talking about. <laughs> Who coincidentally is also very petty. So it's like the whole arc is there. The whole arc is there. Yeah. But yeah, so that's a song I wrote about, um, you know, just like a boy who didn't like me. Yeah. So, hmm. Watch yourself, Matthew. <laughs> Any be, before we get to your adult life, any uh, moments you want to share, kind of snapshots of your life as a kid or an adolescent that you think are kind of emblematic of who you have become today? Oh, totally. So, I mean, now I'm now I'm a mom, uh, and we have like four kids, like from learning to walk to learning to drive, and then a five year old and then an eleven year old. So it's like a full range of child development that I just have like a front seat to, and I remember being like a very highly emotional child and I have now like four highly emotional children and what I remember the most about being little was feeling like 
um, like my feelings were always something that were completely out of control and that that was highly inconvenient um, to like everyone around me, you know? And like my, my siblings were like way older than me. And so if you're like 17 and your nine-year-old sister is like thrashing on the ground and like throwing a fit um, uh, because, I don't know, like everyone was like talking too loudly and I was trying to go to sleep. Like, and I didn't, I couldn't sleep if somebody was speaking. Like I was like, now I'm listening to you. We had a small house. Um, you know, like I, if I were at 17, I would have been like, get it together. You know, I basically always felt like Kevin McAllister. I always felt like everyone was like, look what you did, you little jerk. Um, and I like, I had good parents and they loved me, but also like they had four kids and they were busy and they were like, you got to get it together. Like you have to just bottle it up yeah. <laughs> like the rest of us. And so I tried to be, I think like remembering that and also having all these journals where like all of this is like very well documented. Um, helps me to first of all like everybody's parents like messed up hugely like and also as soon as you have kids you're like wow just like I'm messing them up no matter what like even the good ones like we are just like full on every day just like making huge mistakes that we don't even realize like Ralph is five and he'll be like remember when you said I'm like I don't but you do and that's fucked up I'm like, yes. oh my god <laughs> wow you remember you were listening God, I didn't mean that I was going to put you in a dumpster. I just meant, like... You'd look cute in one. Yeah. Yeah. I just meant, like, try me. <laughs> like, because we have one. <laughs> um, and, yeah. Or he'll be like, are you really going to just, like, drive the van away? And I'm like, no, that's just a fantasy of mine. <laughs> you know? No. It's just, like, when I get on the freeway, I think, what if I didn't stop? <laughs> You know, 20 years from now, he's going to be sitting right oh here God, next yeah. to me. I know. And, you know, I do think about that. I'm like, you know, this will be his memoir. His memoir will be, I'm just giving him, it's all material. So, um, but I do try to think about that with all the kids because it's also infuriating to raise children. It's like so thankless and also like priceless. And like you have all of these conflicting feelings like all the time. You're like, what would I, like, what would I do if I didn't have all of you? And then also you're like, I'm going to lock the door and pretend to be peeing so none of you can touch me. And, um, and like that all happens in like the span of five minutes. I came, I'd taken a nap today. Like I just, Ralph was playing on the iPad and I fell asleep. That was my nap. And um, Matthew was in the kitchen. I like walked in and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is our life. I love you so much. I love this family so much. And then Ralph was like, eh, like just whining about something. I was like, I'm gonna leave. Like, <laughs> I'm never coming back. <laughs> So, uh, so I try to remember that because I do have like Ralph is a very emotional child and of course he is like his dad died when he wasn't even two and then he got me like and his dad ruled his dad was like the minute I got pregnant Aaron's like I'll be the fun parent I was like clearly like duh like of yes. course like regulator here like right. no fun like parties over as soon as you're born and um, and so I try to remember that like I want him to feel like it's okay to like to be like bummed out to like have like these huge huge feelings they're like tiny people with all these big huge feelings they're they're new to them and they're trying to sort them out and I just want to always stay like aware of that I picked him up from preschool on Friday and he, or whatever who gives a shit what day it's like that's like the the key to being a storyteller who isn't your aunt is to not stop and be like no it was actually Thursday no one cares what day it was like 
And he was crying because like this kid broke his snowball. And this kid goes, you can't cry over a snowball. And I was like, you can cry over anything you want. Like to the kid or to Ralph? Kid. Yes. I was like, I'll tell you something. And I like basically like had him by like, the scruff. Like his mom All six walked in feet he, of you right yeah. in his face. Ugh. It's too bad you didn't still have braces. That would have been a nice front seat. If I get angry enough, you can see my permanent retainer. So I'm sure he got a. Yeah. <laughs> sure, I got a glimpse. But he looked at me like, shit, this is where Ralph gets yeah. it. <laughs> so that's cool, though. You're, you're letting your kid know that, uh, you know. Any feeling is okay. It's just how we express it that yeah. matters. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, you can be super mad. You're just not allowed to, like, kick Matthew in the nuts. Right. Not allowed. And yeah. Matthew's so, like, sweet about that. He's like, hey, like, I know you're mad. You really can't kick me, <laughs> kick me in the nuts. Because someday you're going to go to school. And if you do that, you're going to be in major trouble. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I just got to tell you this so that, like, out in the world, <laughs> like, you know how to be. Because <laughs> yeah. can't be. Yeah. Just, nuts. Hitting nuts willy nilly in this, <laughs> and on <in> this world, <laughs> no. Uh, should we? Also, he calls his nuts his weakness, <laughs> which I love. He'll be like, "Ah, oh, my weakness." I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "My nuts." I'm like, it's true. <laughs> oh my god. In the span of two months, you lost a baby, your father, and your first husband. Yay. I win. Yes. Trifecta. This is a sports term, I think. Yeah. So 2014 was the best. And um, all of those things happened. And then I was like, fine. I'm just kidding. Uh, so there's something that I think is super important for everybody to know, which is that nobody in the entire like medical sphere, because I've been taking care of Aaron for three years, like gleefully, by the way, honestly, hardest days of my life were the best. I honestly, when I drive by Abbott Northwestern, I'm like, oh, I miss it. Like I should stop in and get some pudding. I love hospital pudding. Like I gave birth truly to get some more pudding. Um, I was like, as soon as the baby came out, I was like, I'll take two puddings and, and make it fast and don't try to cheat me like I want the full dish, okay? Not like a side. It's my meal. I get two of them today. And which flavor? Um, it's, they only have one. It's pudding flavor. It's chocolate. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I loved Aaron was like made everything fun, like including cancer. Like I'd be like, oh God, I'm just having the best day. Like also, I mean, you're getting chemo. But aside from that, like today is yeah. the best. So you guys laughed a lot, it which must so have been fun. Talk, talk about so that for fun. the person who doesn't understand yeah. what that is, yeah. is like. Well, I mean, it, it's, I don't think everybody at the oncology center was having like the best day. Um, but we were just because Aaron was so fun and we just liked spending time together. And also it was like, you know, a couple uninterrupted hours where like we would bring the baby and then oncology nurses don't get a lot of time with babies. So they would take the baby and we could like watch the Sopranos on a laptop because they have good Wi-Fi at the hospital <laughs> and we wouldn't be at work. We go to Birchwood beforehand. So he wouldn't feel not right. The best. If you have time, you should go there for brunch tomorrow. It's yeah. really fantastic. And so we go to the Birchwood for like brunch on a weekday. Like we were rich and we were like you know we'll have one of everything and 
Um, it's all gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, like cruelty-free, wonderful food. So we'd go there, then we'd like go to um, the falls and just like look at it and be like, nature, cool. Then we'd go to... <laughs> We're like, what else can we do before we go to the hospital? And then we'd go to the hospital and just hang out. So we'd already, like, just had kind of, like, a date of it. And then, uh, I don't know, Aaron was just a person who made, like, everything fun. And, like, when you truly, like, when you are just bonkers in love with somebody, like, you would do anything with them. You would be like, yeah, dude, I'll go to the hospital with you. That sounds great. Um, and because, like, we... You know, I, he had stage four brain cancer, and truly, at first, we did not know that was serious because it seems like there should be ten stages. It doesn't seem like four could be the worst of anything. You know, like oh, it's stage four, and I was like, thank God. And they're like, that's the that's the top one, and I was like, I feel like this should just be like yeah, three or ten, right? Yeah, like this should be a one through a ten, not a four. Just seems very gentle. Yeah, or defcon it. Yeah, just be like this is just, or they should just tell you right now, bad. Yeah. Um, but they don't. But uh, I don't know. Aaron was just like a, a like such a fun person that like he had cancer and we weren't in denial of that because it takes up you know a certain amount of your schedule. But it wasn't as if you know he was diagnosed and we we're like okay like you're dying like we still just sort of took it day by day. So, and I was not a person who could do that beforehand. I was oh, like, okay. let me, I was so anxious, I worried about everything my entire life. Like, an actual page out of my diary when I was 10 said, I just feel like I should be doing more with my life. Oh. oh I wrote that on my, my 10th birthday. <laughs> that is so going in the opening montage of next year's group of podcasts. That is... I was oh. like, happy birthday, Nora, you fucking loser. You're, you're 10. What do you have to show for it? You are my new best friend. You are my new best friend. You're 10, yeah. So when, when this was happening, was this how Aaron had been approaching life previous to that? Oh, or totally. was it? Yeah, he was just like always just happy and having fun and I just never really been around somebody who was so like genuine and so unselfconscious and also like had so little ego that he could just like have fun doing anything and make everybody feel like they were important like I would walk into uh, a party and be like I want to die or leave whichever is easiest <laughs> and he would walk in and be like Okay, well, here's who we're talking to. And I was like, they're strangers. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, and, <laughs> you know, like he just, he just could have like fun doing anything. So he could be in the moment. Yeah, yeah. And that's always been a struggle always. for you, or at least it was before. Oh, totally. Before yeah. he died. Yeah. yeah. Um, so him getting a terminal diagnosis, did anything change in, in his attitude towards life? Or the way he went about his day, other than the yeah. logistical things of Honestly, getting chemo. It was mostly logistical. It was That's mostly amazing. logistical. Yeah. Why do people like that die? I know. I know. And Sean but, Hannity's still alive. Trust me. Okay. Uh, I, like, just hand to God, I did not become a better person when Aaron died. I became like 
I mean, basically the same person. Uh, and then a worse person for a while because I was so mad. And I, like, if you thought I kept score before, trust me, I was like, that asshole's alive. That asshole's alive. Like, I would just see someone and be like, fuck you. Like, yeah. really? Like, I just remember I would, like, get in arguments, like, at the hospital, like, leaving the hospital, some dude smoking outside the oncology floor. And it's not like, not like all smoking causes all cancers, but it was just flagrant. And I was emotional, and I was like, just, you're not supposed to smoke here. And he was like, I think there's, I was like, there's a sign. Like, I was like, that person. I'm like, why do you just, and even Aaron was like, you could just keep walking. I was like, no, I'm going to hit him with a car. Like, yes. <laughs> gonna, like so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, but I was just like super mad after Aaron died, and I didn't feel like I could be mad because I felt like everyone wanted me to be like a, like a, um, an example of like how to grieve or how to be like graceful about it and it did not feel graceful it felt like everything had been broken and I was just sitting among the rubble trying to make other people feel comfortable and I was so 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 um so uncomfortable not one single medical professional was like hey are you okay <laughs> Like, not one, like, literally not one, um, was like, I wonder if you could benefit from therapy or medication. No, they were just like, well, we're done treating your dead husband, so bye. Um, And also we'll need all the medications from hospice, so I didn't even get to, like, develop a drug problem, because it's a small window. It's like, your husband dies, you got everything you need to Mm. fuck up your life, and... That's, yeah, that's your chance. Yeah, I had a chance, and they came for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh my God, yeah. so many questions. I know. But I remember telling people, there's actually only one chapter of my book that I, of my first book that I would uh, dispute and I do in my second book. But even then, it's like, it's real to how I felt at the time, which was, I mean, I was telling everybody, I was like, I don't need to go to therapy. Like, why would I go to therapy so they can tell me I'm sad? Um no, <laughs> like I truly did need therapy, and eventually I did go to a doctor, um, just for like, a, like just a regular physician. Because I was like, oh my god, I don't have a doctor. I had to fill out some form where they're like, who's your doctor? I was like, I don't have a doctor. <laughs> like, I mean, I saw a lot of doctors like over the years, not for myself, but they were there if I had like, if I felt like my ear felt weird or something, they'd take a look. Um, like true, like someone in oncology for Aaron was like, yeah, that's your your ears are dirty. I was like, that's it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so I did see a doctor, and she was like, yeah, you... Actually, the interaction went like this. She was like, how do I know you? And then we did like the thing that I did in the beginning, where I was like, well, I grew up here, and I went to this high school. And she was like, no, that's not it. And then like, she asked me about my life, and she was like, oh, my God. That's how I know you. Like, your husband's dead. And I was like, yes, that's how you know me. Like, yeah, you read his obituary. And... Um, and so she was like, yeah, like, how are you doing? Like, how are you taking care of yourself? I was like, well, I like, you know, I don't know. Like, I drink like, like a bottle of like white wine, not every night, but like, yeah. And, um, just till I fall asleep and then I'm, yes. and then I'm done. Um, and, uh, and she was like, that sounds good. And then I was like, I just, you know, and then sometimes if I can't sleep on other nights, I'll just take like a Tylenol PM, which I hope is okay. And that was my main concern. I was like, I don't know if it's habit forming, I've t- I- <laughs> but I do take one uh, per night. So just want to make sure that's okay. Uh, and she was like, maybe you should go talk to somebody. And I was like, hmm. 
I talk to people. Um, and then we did this worksheet together. And it was like every day, every day, constantly, five, 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 all the time, all the time. Mega, for sure. Sad, yes. angry, yes. anxious. Yes. Yeah. yeah, totally, totally. And she was like, you passed. You're depressed. <laughs> <laughs> you want a scholarship. Yeah. Yeah. The shittiest scholarship yeah. you can imagine. Yeah. She's like, you did it. Yeah. And I love worksheets. So I was like, down for it. She's like, what if we just filled this out? I was like, yes. Um, <laughs> It's like it just. I, I also do love going to the doctor too because it's like you know someone like listening to your heart gently. I was like, I mean, I haven't been touched in so long. <laughs> like, and someone listening to your heart is like so intimate. I'm just looking into this woman's eyes, like, <sighs> I'm like, if we do the worksheet, can I stay longer? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. One of the things on your on your podcast that I r- really loved that that you got into was how you how people don't know how to talk to someone who's in grief and you mentioned uh at your husband's I think it was either at his funeral or afterwards that people would do the how are you Oh yeah talk about that Yeah I mean it's like a very also I just have a problem with like the phrase how are you because we don't give a fuck honestly like if I ask you even and as soon as you tell me I'm like I didn't care why did I why didn't I just say how's your day or like which I also don't care like if you're 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 passing someone in the hallway at work and you're like how are you and they're already you're already in the like the mm-hmm. conference room like why are you even someone's calling it out to you like and you're never going to be like I'm actually dying <laughs> like mm. you know I'm doing really badly today mm. like you won't do that you're just like fine fine mm. me too it's so crazy that like everyone you meet is fine whether you're checking out at Walgreens or you are like just like seeing your family for the first time in a couple weeks you're like how are you good good yeah I'm good I'm good I'm good yeah we're getting a divorce but other than that um and just once in a while say I'm questioning my existence yeah. and just see what people do yeah well I mean I started just being like I'm I'm really not good yeah. I'm really not good but like the problem is like if you tell everybody that you're fine if you give the same answer to like your family that you give to like the checkout person at Target like no one can know you no one can be there for you and so like I did have a part to play in my loneliness and in my depression because I thought everybody just wanted me to be fine because some people did. Some people are not there for it. Some people never will be. And I had to also learn that that was okay. Like Mm -hmm. the people who show up are the right people and the people who don't, like you can let go. And it doesn't mean that you are like a defective person or that they are. It's just like they were not the right person for like this experience. But that's hard because even though everybody's doing their best, like if their best isn't your best... Um, and you're like a scorekeeping, like petty asshole. <laughs> um, that's hard to let go of. So I had a lot of that to deal with, and whew, that wasn't me. Just for everyone listening, I did not break anything. Like I had a lot to deal with. Smash. That's that was very well timed. That's that's a bartender who's petty and just yeah. was upset that you called him out. Crushed it. Crushed it in his hand. Yeah. <clears throat> made it into sand um so i don't know it's like it's it's not as if i'm it's not as if i don't make small talk with people but i try not to make it with the people i care about so i try not to say it to you know if i run into somebody who i actually care about and we're at target and we don't have a lot of time to talk i say it's so good to see you i don't say how are you because we we're not going to get into it, mm-hmm. it like in the in the korean beauty section mm. typically why do you hate koreans <laughs> 
And is this the place to bring the hate? <laughs> you disappoint me. Um, ooh, I almost fall off my... I've, I've, I've had too much green tea. Yeah, easy. Um, what are some... And I love that you touched on the fact that the friends... You can kind of sort them into different tiers of this person I will only share this much with, this person I will only share that much with. And life becomes... It's so much more manageable when we understand how far a wall down can be let down around certain people. And um, it's it's such a great tool to be able to have. One of the things I, I want you to share about are the things that people would say to you that, while well-intentioned on their part, are not helpful to the griever. And and maybe some things that would be good to yeah. say. Um. I'll be I'll be yeah. you. I'll be you okay. grieving and you be the variety of people saying things. I think just in general, mm -hmm. if you have to start something with at least like oh. like you just should not it's not yours to measure, okay. right? So you shouldn't say like at least and I found myself especially I feel like the internet is like a disease for mm -hmm. most of us and it definitely was for me. I was alone all the time and um, like I, I lived in my phone because it was where you know I had every text message Aaron and I had ever exchanged, and I would just scroll through them. I had every photo um, that he had ever taken, and he took such good photos of me. And that is the tragedy of his death. It's just <laughs> is Matthew doesn't have the eye, doesn't yes. know my angles. Okay, it's like Aaron would take a photo of me. I'm like, who is that? She looks like that one Victoria's Secret model whose name you can't remember because it's too many vowels. <laughs> Matthew takes a photo of me. I'm like, it's my dad. <laughs> like, what a handsome older man I've become. So, um, but yeah, people would say, I would find myself editing, like even just if I, when I tried to be like, I'm really sad, I would every once in a while, and it doesn't matter like how rare it is because you're like, if you're if you are a crappy person like me, like you only remember like the bad things people say. So um, you know, I would post something like about like missing Aaron, and someone would say like, at least you found love once. You know, many people don't, and I was like, you're right, it's not sad anymore. <laughs> like you cured it. So like just anything that like anything that starts up with like at least is is saying like I'm not listening. <laughs> you know, like what it's a, like. What about something that starts out with uh, dollars to donuts? I, I don't know that phrase, but yes. uh, like ratios. I was an English major, so I wouldn't even understand okay. the math okay. that went on. Isn't Maybe that a phrase, to dollars to donuts? Maybe. Yeah, it used, used to, to be. be. Oh, used how to, dare you? Used to be. How dare you? With your tattoos and your and your modern ways. In your automobile, making fun of my horse-drawn carriage. Oh my God! I need a sarsaparilla. Can I get a sarsaparilla? Um, oh God! Yeah. So I mean, at, at least I mean the the worst things. I mean, honestly, literally at Aaron's funeral, people are like, you're going to find someone else. I was like, good for me. <laughs> like, is he here? <laughs> like, you know, it just is so odd. It's just such an odd thing to say. Mm. Uh, or like, you're still pretty. I'm like, cool. 
cool. Didn't have that on my list of worries, but now I'll just check more. So that's like death is really hard. Like grief is very hard physically on people. And a fun fact is like once you've been through like a traumatic loss, um, that you have a higher um, instance of like dying of a heart attack, getting cancer. So then I was also just like highly paranoid about like every every time I have a headache, I'm like, well, I have a brain tumor and uh, Matthew, uh, I'm moving to Portland and it's been great. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm just like always, I'm, I'm like still pretty sure that I'm like dying at least like not that often, like couple, every couple months. Yeah. Yeah, couple weeks. Couple weeks. Couple weeks. Oh, Matthew's yeah. back there. Yeah, wave, back. wave, Matthew. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Today I was like, "Can you feel how hard my heart is beating?" He's like, "I can't feel your heartbeat." I was like, "You're an idiot," because it's right here. And Ralph was like, just really, just digging his head into. I don't even have boobs. So he's just like into the ribs, and he was like, "I hear it." It's like, of course you do. Like, you hear it, dude. You got me. He was like, it's beating really hard. It's like, thank you. It's because it's over. <laughs> it's about to turn off. <laughs> um. So so what are some things that someone who is who has never experienced deep grief yeah. like, like you experienced, what are some things that you can share um, that are like helpful? Helpful or universal to yeah. like to let somebody know hey, this is not you doing it wrong. There, there is no right or wrong way to, yeah. to grieve. There is no schedule mm-hmm. of when you should be over something. Um, I think some hot tips are that, uh, especially if somebody's like dealing with like death, um, that maybe they don't only want to talk about that their person died or that their mom is dead or that you know like their child is dead. Maybe they just want to hear their person's name and like a memory or like a photo or just anything. Like if you are thinking of that person, like oh my god, your wedding, like your wedding was so funny. Remember your bridesmaid, like bridesmaid's boob popped out and like tried to tell everyone they weren't fake and we all knew like that they were. Um, like. Just text them that, like treat them like they are still a person and that their their person, the person that they miss was more than just their death because I know that Aaron's dead. I've never forgotten it. I, I know how he died. I was there and I love when people remember him, especially because he lives in so many people's memories that I don't have access to. And I got an email from a woman maybe a month ago and she had gone to school with Aaron and she just sent me an email like about him like about all these memories that I would never know all these things that I would never know and just to know that he lives inside so many other people that and I don't have access to that um is really special and is not just like oh remember like he died of like brain cancer it's like I never wanted Aaron to be just like a cancer story or just like a sad story because he wasn't and I think just remembering like the person especially because like the world just does move on like it's that's natural and it is okay it's okay that you went to the funeral and then when you left it was over for you like that's okay like you're not supposed to be like you know crying your face off for a hundred years but I might be and you know, after Aaron died, the first the first like death anniversary, I like left town. I was like, I'm going to be alone with with Ralph, and um, nobody nobody texted me, like nobody it had been like exactly a year. And why would they? You know. But now I try to like I have some of my friends' husbands' death anniversaries like in my calendar, so I can just remember to say like, 
I'm thinking about you today or even a few weeks before. Like this is a hard mm-hmm. time. Your body remembers like these times of your life. So when you think that the whole world has moved on and somebody sends you something, like it's just a nice feeling. Like it's very, very comforting. It's very comforting. And also I have a huge thing not to say, which is let me know if there's anything I can do because that's saying I don't plan on doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and it's also like, I don't know how to like, I don't even know what I need. And so I, it like just just put all this pressure on me to be like, okay, this is there's this person and my relationship with them, them is this and I believe their skills are this and that would match up to this need. Do I feel comfortable enough asking? They said, ask them anything. And I sent one text message once that was like, I'm going to explode from anxiety. Will you just come over and watch Ralph for 20 minutes so I can go run and tell I, I, I feel better? And the person was like, going to brunch maybe another time and I was like oh I'll never ask anyone for anything again and I never did I was just like okay I can be done needing anyone (laughs) so just like just do a thing just think of a thing that you are Mm -hmm. capable of doing and and just do it and don't expect a thank you note maybe don't don't even tell them who did it Uh, maybe even tell them in the card don't you dare write me a thank you note I like I have a whole widow group of 2,000 widows who are all like, oh my God, when did you write the thank you notes? I'll tell you when I wrote them, never. I have 2,000 thank you notes in my garage. So I was like, you know what? If you need one, you didn't mean it. Yeah. Like you didn't mean it. And so I just let that go because after my dad died, my mom set us all down at the at the dining room table and we all signed these thank you cards. She had them letter pressed. It made her feel good to yeah. do that, but it, it was not me. So would an okay thing uh, to do be when some, when a friend of yours is grieving to call up and say i would really like to come by right now and just sit with you mm-hmm. or say um or would that be okay with you yeah but, but also people have a hard time saying no and so like really and so i would like invite all these people if like if you're the kind of person who's going to come over if you had that level already where you're like we're just friends who can like sit and watch tv and do nothing like those were the friends who did show up and just sit with me and we would just watch like real housewives because it is a cure-all honestly i watched like the old a simpler time like just just orange county i was like just take me back what what is, what is it about that? Oh, it's just like the world's biggest problem was like Paris Hilton, and uh, that was it. That was those were all our problems, honestly. Do you think it's be- that was our and, and like juicy juicy tracksuits, which are back now, and now I now I feel differently about them because I have that nostalgia. But yeah, we were just like, you know what? Put a logo on it, make it hot pink, and 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 just add it was like a time of aggressive beauty standards and I really appreciate the artistry of what it takes to be a housewife of Orange County I do it was like some real effort and do you I liked th- it do you think there's also a comfort in knowing that you are morally superior for sure to a group of people who have it all financially uh, honestly I just love the I truly love that show and what I love is that it's like shows all of our worst instincts and all of our worst selves because I don't think I'm morally superior to those women in any way if anything I'm like oh I'm a Tamara like I'm a I got some Tamara in me I've never, like, I haven't watched yeah, it so I'm just guessing when you watch it you'll be like yeah that's okay yeah I got a little bit of Vicky um, but I'm more of a Tamra um, and I also love that like extremely wealthy people always have houses filled with filthy carpet it's so weird 
You're like, there, there was nothing but like cream colored carpet available at the rich people store. Like that's, that's all they could sell you. It's the only interior possibility. I've never seen somebody who is relaxed have a cream colored carpet. It's mm. always like control freaks. Mm. Well, these people are just totally fine with like their dogs pooping on it. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's really gross. Just notice that anytime you watch a, like a Real Housewife show, especially if they're in California, just notice how dirty their carpets are. They're just filthy. What were we talking about? What can you say? What can you offer? One of the people who's now closest to me, her name is Hannah. Um, she and I really hadn't met before Aaron died, although her husband and Aaron were friends and we sort of like were around each other sometimes. We just hadn't met. And she um, she started just sending me messages like, I'm at Costco. I'm going to drop off like butter, milk, and you know wh- whatever else on your back steps. Like you don't even have to open the door. I was like, thank you. <laughs> like... Thank you, because people would come over with things, and I'd feel like like this expectation to like entertain, you know, mm-hmm. like just like sort of like it's like a reflex. I'd be like, "May I make you a coffee? Like, may I like? Can I guess you brought me dinner? Do you want to eat it with us?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they would, you know, yeah. and I just like didn't have like any like self preservation. Like I had no way to like build a wall. So I was like, now I'm just having dinner with somebody who's like looking at me like I'm like the 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 giraffe at the Como Zoo, um, which is the sad zoo in Minnesota. Aren't they all? Yeah, honestly, they all are, and I can't go to zoos anymore. There's yes. certain things that, like, death has, like, and, and just, like, trauma has, like, ruined for me. One is zoos. I'll bawl yeah. as soon as I see a zoo. Um, I mean, isn't the Housewives of Orange County a zoo in a way? Yeah. That, honestly, I do feel, like, a lot of, a lot of like, empathy for those women. But, yes. yeah, like, I don't know. Did anyone else go to the Como Zoo in, like, the 80s? And, like, there was that giraffe, and it was, like, just licking the side of a building. And you were, like... <laughs> And like even as a kid, you were like, we shouldn't be. This here. is wrong. Yeah. This is wrong. Yeah. This is wrong. Even this is unethical. Like, yeah. We didn't pay to come here, but still, like yeah. it's almost worse. Like that's almost worse. Like how did it get here? So. Uh, so it's it sounds as if ways that you can lighten that person's load without increasing any responsibility on their part, yeah. either uh, socially or logistically. Yeah. And like also, I said no to like every social invite for a long time, and then nobody asked me again. So I, I have like four friends. And I'm like, if they would have just kept asking, eventually I would have said yes. Yeah. Also, a very common theme in the in the Hot Young Widows Club is getting messages from people where they're like, "Look, I know you're going through stuff, but you never applied to my brunch invite, and like just because your husband's dead doesn't mean you can be rude." And it's like, well, yeah, it does. Uh, like, <laughs> but also, it's like I, I'm not like it's. I, I would look at messages. And like, there's just so much. I think that, like, I just was unfamiliar with the idea that I could have like undergone a trauma watching my husband die. And so it it wasn't as if like it was just like grief. It was like I truly had PTSD. And I would look at people like I would be sitting with you, and I would watch like your face like just shrink into a skull and die. And then I would just like come to you and be like. Yeah, mm. like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> where were we? Yeah, the twins are doing great. Yeah, God, sports. <laughs> and uh, and so I just was so unfamiliar with that, and I, like, I just, I didn't know how to tell people to be patient with me, and I think most people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, you know, it's, I can see why some people would be like, God, Nora's just, like, rude now and doesn't want to be anyone's friend, um, and why people often assume that after somebody's, like, gone through something really hard, but it's really, like, just, like, not about, like, you. Like, it wasn't about, like, any of the people that 
I like couldn't be around anymore. It was just about like me and like I can't go to your house and like watch your alive husband pick up your alive kid who's the same age as my kid. I, I just can't. And some days I can and then some days I can't and I can't explain it to you. I can't mm-hmm. explain why I didn't come to your cookout except that like I drove all the way there and then couldn't get out of the car and then left. Um, and it's just a hard thing to be able to say to people. Yeah, it's hard, so, a hard thing for you to understand yourself, it yeah. sounds like. I'm like, maybe I'm just a mm. terrible person. Yeah. That's what I've gleaned. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you never came to my brunch. <laughs> and I never I, b- replied. By the way, I think there's too much brunch going on in here uh, in, in Minnesota. Also, I'm like, I, I don't even go to brunch, nor yes. do I get invited. But yes. I imagine it's something that, like, I bet you do. Like, see. <laughs> see you seem you seem like you have friends. Yeah, you have one. Have one. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Nice. I have a lot of friends. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when I don't know what to to do, um, if somebody is going through uh, something, is I will just text them every day. Just wanted you to know that I'm thinking about you and I love mm, you. That's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. It's like no burden on them. And it's like, that's so nice. That is so nice. Also, it's totally fine to see somebody and like acknowledge um, like your ineptitude and just say, I don't know what to say. And I had this really, um, you know, I I dated uh, one person for like 10 years and uh, my husband died, my dad died. And I don't know, I'm like Catholic. So I'm like, if someone dies, you go to the funeral. Like, that's just what happens. I was like my mom's date to like every funeral. She was like, well, you know, my friend Donna's mom's friend died and I saw it in the, I saw it in the obituary. So put your coat on. <laughs> we got a wake to go to. And I'm like 10. And I'm like, mm, like just <laughs> praying over some old lady's body. Um, but this person, I, I dated them for 10 years. They didn't come to my dad's funeral. And people from high school who I hadn't seen since high school were there. Didn't come to my uh, husband's funeral. Didn't come to my dad's funeral. Never got a card. Got a card from his mother. Got a card from his brother. Um, from his sister. And I was like, you know what seems like a good focus for all my anger? Being angry about that. Mm-hmm. You know? So I just like let it like build. I was like, just that's a bad person. Have I talked to him in six years? No. Should he still have come? Yeah. Um, and then I ran into him at a friend's funeral because we are in our 30s and our friends are dying. And he like sat with me at the at the funeral lunch and just we just sort of sat there in just quiet. And he was like, I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't come. I didn't know what to say. And like all of that anger was like, poof. and I just thought, oh, God, you're such a person. And I don't know what to say about it either. And like I just hugged this big dummy and was like I was like, Oh, that's right. Like you're just a person. So like you're just a person. And, and you know, I'll and so am I. And I've fucked up so many times. Like so many yeah. times I've said like the absolute wrong thing or just like not known what to say, so I just avoided a person. Mm-hmm. Like guilty. Yeah. Completely guilty. Yeah. Sometimes I'll I'll say, um, I don't know what to say because it, I think it's just gonna be trite or a cliche, and I just want you to know. I love you. Yeah. Um, You're good at Or this. I don't know what to... I, I, I like yeah. what you... That he said, I didn't know what to say. Show up and say, I don't know what to say. Yeah. And just give the person a hug if you're, if you're comfortable yeah. with hugs. Or yeah. say, I blame you for their death. Yeah. <laughs> if you're feeling guilty... Both are memorable. That's... What I'm saying is, if you want to be remembered when the archaeologists come, you do some dramatic shit. 
Life is a play, and you got to have some good. You got to have some good lines, some memorable lines. Hug them and whisper into their ear. You should feel guilty. <laughs> it should have been you. If only you'd tried harder. Selfish, selfish, selfish. My God. Oh. What games did your brain play with you in the shoulda, coulda, wouldas afterwards? Oh, after Aaron died? Um, Oh, God. I, like, just kept replaying, like, my worst moments. Um, We were, like, so kind to each other. And then, like, just one day I just wasn't. And it it wasn't as even if can I just like cry in front of you guys Uh, I wasn't even trying to like be unkind it was just like everything like the realization of everything was like hitting me and like I lost our second baby and so I'd felt like you know I I didn't want Ralph to be an only child um, and that felt extremely important to me for whatever reason uh, because like I just needed something to control so I was like Aaron you're dying hardcore we're gonna get pregnant again I'm gonna go back do some more uh, IUI which is the cheap version of IVF um it's way cheaper. They like gave us like a spreadsheet. It was like that one, <laughs> like that one. And then I would go out in the lobby and be like, "Which of you can afford like th- the other kind?" Because I want to know what you do for a living. Because that's more than I make. Um, so I'd, I'd gotten pregnant again. Like what a second miracle. Like I'd had a miscarriage like almost at twelve weeks. Which like if you've ever been around, it's like it's not supposed to happen. Uh, even though like one in four pregnancies ends ends in um, miscarriage. And but I was like, but it's like eleven weeks and six days. So that seems like not right. And then I just felt like I'd broken everything. Like my dad was dying. He was in the ICU and. Uh, like on the south side Aaron was like definitely not doing well like the right side of his body had stopped working and I was like now I have to spend 24 hours like I have to go get basically like a dead baby abortion like you know they're like well you have two choices like you can go home and bleed it out and like see if it comes out in the toilet no Um, or we can just like take it out for you and I was like that one tomorrow so I did that and um and I was so and then I and then that night um Aaron had his very last art show it was the first shirt show here in Minneapolis I don't know if any of you ever went to that and he designed the feminist tee um where he'd taken out the middle I and the word feminist and put the MN in relief and it was for me it was his very last design and it was definitely gonna be the last time he ever got to make something because his arm didn't work and so I I, I was like bleeding and on Percocet and I went to like an art show with him and just like smiled all night and you know just looked at and nobody knew had known that I was pregnant so nobody had known what what happened and so I think about I would think about that all the time is that even what you asked me by the way okay and um like and then my dad died like eight days after that and then you know Aaron like could not use the right side of his body so I'm like carrying Ralph and like helping Aaron into the house and it's like winter and um like I, I don't know something drops I just have this vision of us like being in the kitchen and can I just why I'm I'm telling like thousands of people it's the most (laughs) fucked up thing I've ever said to anybody in my life and like you know Ralph is crying and like I'm like oh my god this is why I lost the fucking baby like because I can't do it all on my own with two and I like looked up and he was like like just so wounded and I was like I didn't mean it that way like um 
And he was like the funniest person in the world. <laughs> and he goes, like, at the time the song was like a hit, he was like, one less problem without me. <laughs> and I was like bawling because I was like, I didn't mean it like that. I just, but of course I did. You know, like, of course it's what I thought. Of course I thought, who the fuck was I to think like that I could have two kids under the age of two like on my own like when I can't even do like the one and like a husband and I just said it out loud and like of course he knew that of course he had felt that too but we had like kept these kindnesses for each other kept those secrets for each other and I'm like so the game that I would play is like what if I had faked it better (laughs) you know but like he already knew because like we would have we talked about everything you know so I already knew um like, I knew that he wasn't afraid to die. Uh, and, like, the way he put it was, like, I'm not afraid to die, but I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very hot in here now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my, my brain would just basically like replay every single thing that I'd ever done wrong. And then also... As long as I wasn't home, then Aaron could maybe be alive, you know. And also, if I didn't open our bedroom door, because that's where he spent so much time, so I could like come home and like still sometimes say like I'm home, um, as if like he were there. So I'd left that house because uh, I just like literally couldn't sleep. Like I could not go to sleep because uh, I'd have to open that door. I'd have to know. Brains are cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That. Man, you went deep. You went deep. Also, it like, felt good to tell someone that. Yeah, doesn't it feel good? What does it, what does it feel like after you share something like that? Um, I don't know. It's like when you go to therapy and after you leave, you're like, did I just lose 600 pounds? <laughs> like, yeah. am, I, am I the biggest loser? <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, that's how I feel. Uh, yeah, it's like your feelings get, like, a shower, you know? Also, I've, like, felt, like, all week, like, there's just, like, this, like, weird anxiety, like, flame, like, in the center of my chest, and it feels a little bit lighter now. And I wasn't even thinking about that this week. I was just thinking about, like, anything else. Isn't it funny sometimes <laughs> Yeah. how our brains do that, and we don't know until we're talking about something or we're journaling, um, and it and it comes out? Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I think like at my core, I've just always believed that I'm like a a terrible and unlovable person. And Mm -hmm. so, and Aaron was so good and he loved me. And so if he died, then um, like maybe I just fooled him, you know? Uh, And maybe, and that's like a hard thing to um, think, but that's why I do it. I think the the worst things if I can. (laughs) Given a choice, yes. I'm going to think the worst. Yeah. So I always think that people who like me just have poor taste, and then same. I resent them for having poor taste. Yeah. Literally same. Yeah. Anytime someone's like, oh, I've wanted to meet you, I'm like, sorry. Yes. Sorry you did. <laughs> the sex would be so much hotter if you didn't like me. <laughs> I wish that wasn't true. I wish that wasn't true. Um... There are, there's so many things we could do, we could talk about. Let's um, let's talk about the things in your life that bring you a sense of meaning and purpose. Because you 
really seem to have a purpose-driven life that um, animates your spirit, gets you out of bed. I, I, maybe I'm just projecting, but that's the feeling from what I've read about you and spending a little bit of time around you. That's the feeling that I get. Yeah, I think that um, going through what I went through with Aaron gave me like uh, the realization that I'm not special, which is uh, very freeing and very important for all of us. Uh, even if you like have like poor self worth, uh, which I clearly um, sometimes have, but um, Aaron, at, okay, like I don't know where to start with this except that Aaron was 32 when he got diagnosed and we weren't married, so he didn't have life insurance, and also he loved life but not saving money, so we didn't have any, <laughs> like any, um, and so I remember get opening like the you know that this is not a bill. From your and you're like, why send it to me? Other than to like make me feel bad, you know? They're like, this is not a bill, but what if it were? Yeah. This brain surgery would cost more than your home is worth, um, which is a fact. And it's not like I'm looking for like a bargain on brain surgery. I'm just saying that's it seemed excessively expensive. So we got the this is not a bill, and then we started to get the bills, and um, we both had really good jobs. Uh, we had really good families. We had a good set of friends. We had a safety net, and most people do not. Like, most people in America don't have $500 to cover a medical emergency. Medical emergencies cost far more than $500, exponentially more. And so, you know, a sickness and, and even death for a lot of people, like we're left to crowdsource our way through, and that is because of like a broken uh, healthcare system. And if you don't like this country, system. why don't you leave yeah. it? <laughs> Truly, when I was in <laughs> when I was in Vancouver, I was like googling immigration. <laughs> I. How hard would it be? <laughs> I have put marriage proposals out to Canada and Denmark. Yeah. I'm not yeah. kidding. And I'm thinking I, Thailand as well. Yeah. I have friends that live yeah. there and they say it's fantastic. Honestly, we should all just exodus to Vancouver because it's so beautiful. A little too expensive. but. Um, uh, so yeah, most people don't have, uh, don't have a safety net at all. And we did. So even though everything had fallen apart, like there was something there to catch me. And it didn't mean that I was like, you know, uh, doing great, but it really, really does help. Like the things that kill us also sometimes completely crush us and destroy entire families, destroy family trees, like destroy like generations of people. So um, Aaron had been wearing like this thrift store shirt when he had a seizure. It says still kicking uh, in like really cracked and faded uh, letters. We thought that was hilarious, by the way. We did not know to take anything medically serious. So I'd heard he had a seizure. I was like, what a loser. Went down to the hospital. <laughs> I was like, who has a seizure? And like, I was annoyed. I was it's like, so it? 80s yeah. to have a seizure. I was like, it's, it's Halloween. We've been dating a year. We're supposed to hand out candy together. Like, I'm in my 20s. I'm like, this is a commitment. Um, and I like open the like curtain in the ER and he's like, pretend, he's like having a seizure, but it's a pretend one. Um, and he's like, gotcha. I'm like, oh, funny. And, but it was. And Instagram had just come out. So if you go deep into my Instagram, you'll see how bad our photo, it, like the first photos I posted were like Aaron like pretending to die in the ER the day he was diagnosed. Um, and he's wearing this shirt and we think it's so funny. We're like, let's get you out of here. And they're like, you can't leave. Like you had a seizure. <laughs> and yeah. it's um, a brain tumor. We're like, oh, what if we came back tomorrow? Or what if we came back for the brain surgery? Like, what do you, what's the big deal? Um, super big deal. Like I said, stage four 
brain cancer, which is, again, the worst one, the highest. So um, Aaron had wanted to do something with that. So like he just wanted to do something. He'd wanted to like recreate that shirt and give the money to all of these other people who maybe they have cancer, maybe they have something else that they're going through, but there are just a lot of people whose lives have been destroyed and who are still like living through it, still surviving. So after Aaron um, died, we had we'd gotten the shirt up on, is anyone familiar with Cotton Bureau? They're a great website. It's like a, um, a on-demand site that isn't like, you know, not anyone can publish, it's not like Cafe Press, not like a bunch of, not like anyone can just put something up there. So they do pre-order t-shirts um, and they're like really design focused and uh, they put Aaron's like tracing of still kicking up and if we sold 12, they would print it. And I was like, there's six people in my family. I'll order them each two shirts and we'll make it. And we sold like a couple hundred and then we sold like a couple thousand and then he died and we sold a couple thousand more. And when I'd finished my book, the Cotton Bureau um, folks were like, when you are ready to make this into a thing on your own, let us know. And they hooked me up with everything I needed to know to to start my own organization, like their printer, their, um, their supplier, uh, their shipping, their warehouse, everything, and basically helped me set everything up. And um, every month. Now we're a nonprofit. At first we were an LLC because I was so lazy. Um, I was like, well, I can do this one right now and the other one requires a paper, so I'll just do this. And then um, the way that it would work is that we'd tell a person's story every month. They're our like, hero and we give them the money from the shirts we sell. And then tax season came and my accountant was like, have you collected sales tax? Like, heavens no. Um, like, where is the money? I gave it away. Try to keep up, you know? like. Oh, my God. Yeah. You got screwed. She was like, that's not a business. And I was like, you are making some strong points. But You like, said this through the bars. Right. I was like, well, let's not focus on the past. <laughs> like, let's move forward. Uh, and my friend Davis, uh, who's uh, an attorney, was like, um, so the form that you need to fill out literally has the letters easy on it because it's easy. <laughs> it's like, good, thank you. So we are a nonprofit, and that's what we do. We um, sell Still Kicking Gear, and we tell people stories without pity because you don't need pity. Like, you need people to see you through these things and see you as more than a sad story, and also you need money. And until we fix that broken system, we have to try our best to catch as many people as we can and that's what I can do so that's what I can yeah. do it's fantastic what is the website for? Uh, it's stillkickin.co do not go to stillkickin.com because it's owned by an old man with a bluegrass band I made him an offer he refused and then he later sent me an email saying people keep coming to my website and this is what I was trying to avoid when you offered to buy my website it's like sir this is why we don't allow old people to use the internet <laughs> without supervision okay oh, cuz then yes. you send you send me an email i'm like sir i don't think anyone's confusing the organizations yes. i don't think they are i don't think anyone's yes. anyone's going to like your bluegrass website mm-hmm. and clicking around thinking like where do i get a green t-shirt <laughs> like i think nora plays fiddle yeah i play the triangle or nothing yes so and as you can tell, I'm a vocalist, naturally. <laughs> I, sing, I sing you my songs. Oh, we heard it. So many things have happened tonight, I don't even drink, that I cannot believe I've said to anybody. I think it helps that there's a light directly in my eyes and I can't see anyone. <laughs> 
Uh, while I'm thinking of it, uh, what is the live appearance you're doing uh, coming up here in Minneapolis? Oh, yeah, if you guys are, aren't doing anything uh, Friday or Saturday next week, which you probably won't be because it's going to be freaking miserable outside. I checked. Um, yeah, the worst. Let's all leave. Um, Terrible Thanks for Asking is doing two live shows at the Fitz, and there are like a couple tickets left Thursday and fr- or sorry, <laughs> Friday and Saturday night, April thirteenth and fourteenth, and we have some pretty cool guests, and it's a it's a fun show to do live. So. I love too that you said if you guys don't I do that if you yeah. guys don't have anything because yeah. I'm so afraid of appearing pompous oh. that I would assume anybody would want anything to do with me truly yes. my assumption is that no one will be there yes. I'm not kidding like the last time I was like Are, is anyone out there and Hans was like my producer was like yes and I was like thank god it feels like throwing a birthday party you know and just knowing no one's going to yes. be there it's yes. except yeah. the person you kind of wish you hadn't invited right yes yeah. and they're early and they're early and they're going to stay till it's over yeah so um so yeah i know i what is that like i mean if you don't have anything better to do like whatever it's like not a big deal it's a huge deal like i get yeah. to do a show at the Fit- i get to do two shows at the fitzgerald it means a lot to me that i get to tell other people's stories um, and help other people feel like seen and heard through their hard thing because like if you haven't gone through anything hard yet just wait <laughs> like just wait like it will come for you like and not even just one just bad thing after bad thing after bad thing and this is probably why I don't have friends <laughs> I think you should be a nursery school teacher uh, <laughs> I uh, I feel like I would have some some valuable insights yes. to share I think you got a children's With book in you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about your life. <laughs> the next step's a doozy. <laughs> Watch your step. God, we are writing a children's book right now. I hope someone yes. is like plagiarizing this idea as we yes. speak. My, if I write one, mine is going to be called Mistakes Equal Death. <laughs> um Let's let's take it out with some uh, some fears and some some loves. Oof, um, okay. Let's try to think of some fears first. I have one. Okay. Okay. So I am a, a, like in my bones, even though I like just like this very just like instinctual fear that if I don't run up a flight of stairs, could be anywhere, could be like in my own basement, someone else's basement, in a mall. If I don't run up these stairs, then a hand will grab me and pull me down like a ghost hand. <laughs> And I'll be gone. Like just, like I can feel it like almost getting me. And then yes. if I run and then I get to the next floor, then they can't. It's just, they yes. only exist on the stairs. Almost like a tickle runs up your spine. Yes, as, yes, 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 yes. And it's like just, yeah. people are like, that woman loves a sale. <laughs> She's off to get a bargain. <laughs> two at a time, two stairs at a time. Right up. Uh, I had this one, by the way, before uh, tonight. But my fear is that because I, I live alone now that I'm going to uh, get cancer. <laughs> this is so sad. And nobody will be there to care for me. And I will be too proud to ask for help. And, and I will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alone and in pain. Oh, my God. How are you guys doing? Everybody having a good time? Okay. So one of my fears is, <laughs> is that. 
Mm-hmm. for other people yes. like I will see other people and be like I really hope that you have someone to love you and take care of you and then if you don't then I'm also imagining like all of a sudden that I am taking care of my male person you know and I don't even know anything about them they could have a very rich life yeah. but I will just see somebody and be like if you're alone will you blink twice and then you can live with me and I'll take care of you forever I don't know it's like a very I just assume, I'm just like, if you are, if you need somebody, mm-hmm. please let me know. I, that's like a fear. I have a fear of other people's like loneliness yeah. and suffering and also about living my children. <laughs> so anytime like anything is wrong with Ralph, um, I assume he has a brain tumor. Yeah. His pedi- it's like just in his notes and his pediatrician. She's like, and you believe he has a brain tumor. Uh, <laughs> so she's just like always like just knocking us. Nope. Sounds right to me. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Give me another fear. Yeah. Um, oh, besides like my children dying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or did you, Yeah. were you just tag teaming mine or were you doing your own? Okay. Plus also like my, okay. my outliving my children. Um, like that is a big one. And this is like a little one, but also not really, which is that if I pick something up off the floor, I am sure that like a giant centipede is going to like... <laughs> come out and then also touch me like get on me and I won't be able to like get it off or then I will and it will die on me and then mm-hmm. be it will sink into my um, pores and it will be in in me mm. it'll be a part of me forever so what if you reached out and it curled around even your worse, finger and, fear. Yeah. And, and you could feel it begging you not to let go and it looked up at you with little moist deer-like eyes and said, please don't kill me, and then took a hunk of your skin out. I would squeeze it so hard, it would feel all of its little bones crack, and then I would take my own hand mm-hmm. and beat my hand off with a baseball bat. Because <laughs> it was now so filthy and unusable. And even thinking about that makes me want, I'm going to make Matthew run over my hand with our Honda Odyssey as soon as we leave here. So that it never happens. So that a centipede never wraps itself around my finger. So I don't have any fingers to do that to. It's a terrible thing. I am, every time I drive my car, almost every time, I'm afraid that I'm going to either hit a dog or see a dog get hit by a car. That to me is like, I don't have kids, never had kids. Um, and that's the closest thing I can imagine to, to having kids because I've always had dogs. And uh, yeah, I, I lost a dog a year ago and I still can't look at mm-hmm. pictures of it. I can't imagine what it's like to, uh, to have a, a, a kid. It just scares the scares the fuck out of me. Yeah, if, if you think about it too much, you'll be like, we can't ever leave the house. Yes. Like yeah. truly. Yeah. 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 Um, give me one. I love how mine yeah. are just bumming people yeah. out. It's like, yeah. I mean, they're bumming me out. Yeah. I am afraid of like stepping on a dead bird. I feel like that would just, you know, like when you see, like they'll be on the sidewalk and they look alive almost, and you know, it just, sometimes they just fall out of the sky. I don't know how birds die. And, and like they'll be still like round and they'll be on the sidewalk. And you could, if you're not looking, I'm always looking down because yeah. I do not, I feel like if my foot were to crush the body of another being, I may never emotionally recover, honestly. Wow. Like a bird, a mouse, really anything small. I'm afraid of 
stepping on something small that's already dead. Not even a live thing and killing it. I don't think that's realistic. A real fear is that I will step on a dead thing, feel their death through the sole of my clog. What if you're barefoot? I... And it's a hot day. What if I was barefoot? Then... I think I would be, I, it would maybe affect me less, and I would just maybe be just more disgusted than fearful. Wow, I think we, we know what you need to do with shoe wear from <laughs> yeah. now on. Yeah, no more shoes. Uh, Which also, by the way, there's like an entire uh, uh, Twitter account that I found that's like about barefoot rights. I, I don't know how I found it, but I got into it, and it's like this, these people who like, the thing that they're really passionate about, and you have to have a passion, is that it is your right to not wear shoes in public. <laughs> they're like, barefoot is natural, it's fine. And they're like posting photos of themselves like barefoot in public, like at restaurants. So like, it's not unsanitary. It's just like such an interesting thing to be passionate about. You know, like, how dare you force me to cover my feet? It's just very and interesting. Are they at war with the no shirt people? And the I only thing they, they can agree on is they both need service? <laughs> <laughs> um... Let's do, let's do one more, uh, one more fear each, and that's no. Let's do some loves. Let's okay, get to yeah. some loves for yeah. fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> Me and my pit of despair over here. You're the one that has everybody die. I'm over here. Yeah, you know, my future might be shitty. <laughs> um, but like, uh, that's also I'm like very obsessed with like yeah. just um, the future. I had to get. Oh, like, I a think that's apparent. Right before, right before a wedding, I got the word "now" tattooed on my wrist, mm-hmm. um, and like I was like, just stay in the present. Don't like bury this person already. Like, don't like be obsessed with the past. Just like be here, and like this didn't even help. Oh. <laughs> like I'm still like, <laughs> oh man, 2020. It's gonna be a doozy. I I just thought you. <laughs> I just thought you were in a meditation concentration camp. (laughs) Aren't they all? You're very good. Aren't they all? Um, Some loves. I love when it's very... Okay, so because we're having like an interminable winter here in Minnesota, Mm. right... Okay, so in January where it's very, very dry and very, very cold and it's almost so cold that it it doesn't even feel cold anymore. Like it's like one degree, um, but it's cloudy. So it's almost warm, but not really. It's still so, so cold. And you walk in or somebody else walks into your house and you smell the cold on them. Mm. You know, and you're in your warm house where you just smell the smell of cold. Yes. I love that. Yes. That's yeah. a good one. And especially if there's snow, there's, there's a, um, like the first day of spring, when the the snow on the ground has finally all melted in and the grass is thawing and you can smell earth and you're like, okay, I think we got it behind us. And then it snows again. <laughs> I don't love that part, but I love that that yeah. smell. The, um, living in Los Angeles, you don't get to experience the change of seasons. It's really just winter and summer, yeah. but you don't get to smell spring. And I, that's one of the things... I miss and fall when the leaves there's a pile of leaves that are decomposing mm-hmm. and you remember when you were a kid and you used to jump into them or you'd hide in them yeah. Yeah. we're all really connected to the change of seasons honestly yeah. it's like yeah. it's like a reminder that we are alive yeah. um, it's really like really powerful um, I also love I have a, I don't know how old he is he's baby-ish he's a toddler and he, uh, he has like these dumb little teeth 
Like all, I just love baby teeth. They're so they're little. The best. Oh my god, and they're just perfectly round. And he's got like this little space in between them. So like every time he smiles, he just looks like a cartoon mouse. And like he smiles all the time. And I hope his gap never closes. Like I'm just gonna like put like just my finger in there when he gets big teeth and just like just force him to have a gap his whole life because it's so cute. It just makes everything about him cuter because yeah. he has like this tiny little defect. Yes. I, and sometimes like kids or animals are so cute you want to bite their face. Have you ever had that? You're just like, oh, God damn it. Look at you. Fuck. You get, it almost makes you angry. Like you are controlling me right now. You're so adorable. You got your hooks in me. Fuck. I, I truly feel that way. I feel that yes. way about my dog, too, and I didn't yes. know that I was, like, such a dog person, and sometimes I, I work from home mostly, and so I will spend so much time with her that also we just talk all day, mm-hmm. and then I, like, hold her, and I say, like, I think, oh, my God, one night I was, like, crying. Matthew was like, what's wrong? I was like, I would die for her. <laughs> he was like, I was just like looking at her and she came from like, you know, a puppy mill, you know, and I was like, what, who would hurt you? Like who would hurt you? And now I'm like every night I like give her a little Prozac and some peanut butter and I just like hold her and I'm like, may you never know another bad day. Like, you know, like I, I just can't handle her having like any sort of disappointment. So like I, and she can't ever die. Yes. Which is like a huge burden on her. But yes. I'm. But I think with everything she's been through, she can bear it. Yes. So, like, she she has to know that she's got to take care of herself. Otherwise, your mental health depends on her. Yes. She does. I'm like her emotional support person. Yes. Like, like she offers yes. me no support yes. at all. You guys like, know not... my emotional support human, right? Yeah. Like, she gets to sit next to me on yeah. the plane. Like my, yes, truly. Like my life just like has started to revolve around her. I'm like, oh my baby, and Matthew's like, you have a baby. <laughs> like it's a different baby. I was like, do you think she needs like a friend? He's like, she has a friend. It's you. Uh, we'll not be getting another. We'll not yes. be getting another. Yeah. <laughs> dog. Uh, who did the last love? I think I did. I think it's your. I just talked about my dog, so now it's your turn. Okay. Wow, that was ten year old you right there. That yeah. was nice. Yeah. I totally did the last one. I did the last one. I mean, I have a lot more, but... Hit me with another one while I think of uh, another love. Uh, How are we on time? I don't know. Do you guys have anywhere to be? Okay. There's no time limit. Oh, geez. Um, I mean, I think I'm supposed to say my husband, but that's boring. No offense. (laughs) Mm. My husband's my best friend. False. Like, no. You should have friends. Um... (laughs) I just think it's it's a slippery slope. You should not marry your best friend. Yeah? I just don't think you should, personally. I think you I just think it's odd, yeah. personally. I also think it's like an unrealistic expectation. I got a lot of hot takes which you did not ask for, but you're not my, you're not my best friend. It's fine. <laughs> like, you gave me the necklace? I said no thanks. <laughs> I got a best friend, seats taken. Like you can be my husband, we can be friendly. Not my best friend. (laughs) I'm like, this is my best friend, Matthew. Like, no. Um, (laughs) uh, God, one thing that makes me super happy is that I do have a best friend. His name is Dave Gilmore. And we met in 2001. We met on September 11th. 
um, celebrating. Yeah, <laughs> second most second most memorable part of that day. Um, yes. And we actually met because it was supposed to be the inauguration of our new uh, college president, and I was selling shirts that said September 11th, 2001, oh Father Graham Day. Father Graham really got the thunder stolen out from under his inauguration, which, I mean, do you even have like a present inauguration for a college president? Who gives a crap? Um, so it was I mean, printed up before? Printed up long before. Oh my, I've heard of mistakes, that, but that yeah. is... Yeah, a- so it was printed up before. I, you know, I worked for the residence uh, hall or whatever, and so I didn't get a message not to sell the shirts. So I was like... I don't know. I got to work. And Dave walked into his dorm and was like, should you be selling these shirts? And I was like, do you want one? Um, I was like, because I don't want to sell these. And then we just hung out and we were just best friends since forever. And now we live on opposite sides of the country. And when we see each other, it's just like that kind of friendship where like you see this person and you're like automatically home. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter that it's been like six months or like 12 months. Like he stepped off the plane. We met in Salt Lake city recently to like do like a writing retreat and he stepped off the plane and I just like burst into tears. And it was just like, it's just this, this really unique kind of love that you you're really, you are lucky if you find that kind of friendship Mm -hmm. because friendship is so, um, like under celebrated and almost like you, you know, you're supposed to, uh, you know, aspire to being married for some reason. No offense again, Matthew, who is here. Um, but you're supposed to aspire to that one really like it, it, it's, it's just as valuable to have like really, really good friendships. Yes. And if you have very, very good friendships, like you will never be alone, even if you have cancer and you're not married, you know, <laughs> like, you know, you won't be. And it's like, I know, like, even if I never found somebody else, like, I would always have Dave. And Dave's married. He's got his own family. And, like, it's not as if his world revolves around me. But, like, he's a solid place for me always, mm-hmm. no matter what. And was, even though he was in California when Aaron was dying and when we got married, like, he was just, mm-hmm. like, still there. And I have mm-hmm. very few friends, but the friends that I have are like that. Yeah. And, like, that is something that I love. And I feel like I'm, I'm not always good at... um at, at really remembering and valuing that. So part of like my like anxiety maintenance or something is that every day I just like call one of my friends. I just like call them. I just That's call them right. on the phone. I'm like, let's talk. Cause otherwise you're like, Oh, I haven't seen you in six months. That means that we haven't talked in six months. That's weird. We have telephones. We could talk on the phone and I fucking love talking on the phone. It turns out. And I drive in a van all the damn GD day. Thank you for not swearing. (laughs) So I'm like, I got 20 minutes on my way to soccer. I'm calling a friend. That makes, you know, that makes sense. I think that's like one of the positive, when there's a traffic jam, I always say, okay, the universe wants me to uh, call somebody and talk about myself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 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 your husband died. But listen, about me, my neck's been a little creaky. How am I doing? Not well. Not well. (laughs) Not well. Um, I love either myself or somebody else doing something pompous a split second before they trip and fall. (laughs) That's like one of my favorite, favorite things. I was having a poker game at my house one night and 
and uh, there's this game called 727 and we added this rule uh, called Concord where you can pay $5 at the at the top and get all your cards at once and and uh, and then we started using euphemisms for Concord you know you know buckle up or I'm going first class and my friend sitting in a chair and I kept telling him the whole night don't lean back on the back legs of the chair. He just kept doing it. He throws his five dollars in. He goes, he goes, buckle up. It's gonna be a bumpy flight. Snap. Both of the back legs snap. And he hits his head. His drink goes all over the place and he falls on the floor. Oh God. He died, but it was so funny. Give me another one. I also love. I love when people fall. That's so I really awesome. Do and especially if I fall, like, don't ask me if I'm okay. Just laugh. Point. And, like, point. Point. Laugh. Stand like, over. Lord over yes. me. Yeah. And point. Like, once you're of a certain age, like people like really are worried if you fall. Yes. I'm like, don't. Please do not. Just let me lay here. Just. Let the world move on. Um, because, like, also, I have a very clumsy child, and, like, he falls all the time. Mm. And it's also very funny because we have a very, like, we have a very slippery linoleum floor. <laughs> and, like, once a week, he'll come around the corner, and it's like a cartoon, like, his legs just fly to the side, like, whoop! <laughs> And like now he doesn't even cry. He's just like, oof. <laughs> Didn't see that coming every day. I'm like, dude, no socks in this house, okay? You need the grip, okay? Oh. Uh, that's my favorite thing about our, uh, well, the, the two dogs we used to have. We just have one now. But when uh, I'd go to take them out, they both bolt upright. And they, there's like three ro- rooms to go through. And and Herbert was our little guy who would always have to be ahead of Ivy, and he would his fishtail around all of the all of the corners to get to the door first. And ah, uh, God, I miss that. I miss that. He died of a brain tumor, but um, dogs get him too. Okay? Yeah, dogs. Yeah, never the bad dogs. <laughs> bad dogs live forever. Just the bad owners. Yeah. yeah. Bad dogs, bad owners, living forever. Yes. Yeah, biting kids' faces. <laughs> that, that reminds me of when we were looking for dogs, how people would would try to tell the truth in an ad, an adoption ad, without coming right out and saying. And it would be, you know, you know, uh, loves children, hates their faces. <laughs> I think this yeah. dog's a biter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's true. It's true. Also, like the the process for being uh, approved to adopt our dog was so lengthy. Yes, so lengthy. They come to your home. It they truly, check it out. Yes. You have to sign a contract. It takes longer than like getting a gun. Honestly, yes. people are like, I don't know. Can you handle this, Shih Tzu? <laughs> I don't know if you're the person to yes. do this. I just will consider it. Yeah. And then they go back and they deliberate and you're like, like I had the kids like comb their hair. I was like, I don't want these people to think I can't take care of a Shih Tzu. Like, and yeah, the kids are like, what yes. are we doing? I was like, you're changing your clothes. Okay. <laughs> we're lying to get this dog. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's what we're doing. 
That's what they're. That's we what are trying to prove we are classy enough for this thing that eats its own ass. Yeah. I know. I like. I look at my dog and I'm like, I saw you eat your own poop, and I love you. That is, yeah. it's a very pure love. But there's a window that you have to give it for the idea oh, yes. of itself yeah. cleansing. Mm-hmm. For me, it's 24 hours. Yeah, I, yeah. I just imagine that anytime I'm not with her, she's just eating a pile of her own poop. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. it's just, just her lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Poop is an acquired taste. Yeah. <laughs> give me another love. I don't love anything. Um, kind of, hmm, what do I love? I mean, it is shallow, but if I have my nails done, uh, I feel like I have my life together. It's true. Like, I get a manicure, like, and I'm like, everything's fine. Like, this one is grown out just like seven days, and like, from a distance, you can't tell, can you? No, you're like she has her nails done. Like what a what a woman. I bet she I bet she makes her bed every day. Uh, I just feel like it says a lot about me without saying a thing. And I I don't love going to get them done. I don't I don't love, you know, the scraping and then the chemicals and you know, I'm sure that I have finger cancer from these nails, but mm-hmm. um but I love having my nails done. I love having yes. my nails done. I love the feeling like when it's a hot summer day and you need to take a nap and you go in and you take a quick shower and then you lay down in sheets that had just been washed. That is just, it just feels so mm-hmm. clean and the air conditioning's on and you just, oh, I love, yeah. I love that feeling. Uh, you want to do one more and then we'll uh, go? I will do one more. Okay, so I um, thought for like a long time after Aaron died that if I didn't do like everything absolutely on my own, then it like didn't count or something. Like I just got very addicted to like my independence um, and that like it was just me and Ralph and like we lived on like our little island and that, you know, I just would, I would possibly like somebody would probably love me, but I just would like tolerate their presence um and and that would just be like fine i could just be like lukewarm about something uh or someone like a person and i like really do love you matthew like i do i do i still don't need you as i evidenced by surviving 24 hours with all four children while you were just gallivanting on some work trip um but i do and i i love like having somebody who does things with me and for me, not because like I need him to and not because like he needs like credit for it, but just because it's like this innate goodness in you. And it's very, very awesome. Nora McInerney, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much, Nora. Thank you. Thank you guys for coming out. I so love doing the live shows there at uh, Sisyphus Brewery in uh, Minneapolis, and uh, many thanks to to Nora and to um, <clears throat> Sam Harriman, who uh, is the owner-operator and listener to this show. Uh, the plan is to go there every six months or so and do uh, two shows on a Saturday night, uh, each with a different guest. So tentatively looking at going back October 13th. So what I'm telling you is, Go book your tickets right now. Book a flight, Minneapolis. Those of you that are over uh, 100 years old, contact your travel agent. Use a rotary phone. Um, this is a shame and secret survey. 
and this was filled out by a guy who calls himself Alone in My Room. And he is 20 years in his 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, identifies as straight, uh, never been sexually abused, not sure if he's been physically or emotionally abused. Um, darkest thoughts, keeping women captive as breeding slaves, but at the same time, finding other men that would do that or are doing it and castrating or torturing them. Darkest secrets, I'm in a huge amount of debt because of escorts and strippers. I've watched a lot of bondage and rape porn and also watched a fair amount of videos of women having sex with dogs. I've spent insane amounts of time photoshopping pictures of women I know into pornographic images. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Well, he kind of touched on that, but he writes, as mentioned earlier, having sexual slaves, watching women with dogs, or any situation where I am in complete control. I feel nervous and hypocritical because I am disgusted by men who have kept enforced or think about keeping and forcing women to do those things. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Telling someone, anyone, to fuck off. I can't because I need everyone to like me or think I'm a good guy. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish my family didn't have to struggle financially anymore. Have you shared these things with others? No, I'm afraid of what people would think, that I'm a creepy, disgusting pervert, and I haven't gone to therapy because I'm afraid that my insurance won't cover the cost, or that if I start therapy now, that I won't be able to afford the insurance plan I have if the marketplace changes or falls apart, and I'd have to change therapists and basically start over. How do you feel after writing these things down? Nervous. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I don't know. Um, I have a couple of thoughts and thank you for your honesty about this. First thought, the most important thing is, um, is that you recognize that this is starting to corrode areas of your life. While there isn't anything wrong with a fantasy that stays inside our head or with a consenting partner, um, I think when it begins, to, you start to go into debt, spending money that you don't have, you know, for strippers or escorts or the things that you were talking about. Um, I, I think that is a sign that something deeply troubling is going on. And I'm sure none of this is news to you, but, um, it's funny. We can have a perspective sometimes on someone else's life that we can't have on our own when we are busy numbing our pain. Um, and you mentioned having a fear of not being able to afford it. Well, what would be better to spend your money on a therapy that might not be convenient or it might, you might have to change therapist at some point? or continuing down the road that you're continuing down without any type of, of help. And I, you know, I think there is a link between having these fantasies, these sexual fantasies, um, and not being able to be, um, heard in your real life, not being able to take the power, healthy power in your life because you're afraid of what people think. Having read tens of thousands of these surveys in the however many years I've been doing this podcast, one of the things that I 
have seen over and over again is that we get turned on by things that make us anxious, things that have an emotional heaviness to them. And very often those are things that we are morally opposed to. And um, it's not a comment on your morality if those things are kept in your head or shared with a consenting partner, blah, 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 blah. But when you begin to send those ripples out into the world, um, hurting people, um, you know, hurting yourself, then it's time to get help. Let somebody help you. Um, you're, you're worth it, man. And shame's a motherfucker. I've battled shame most of my life. And it will keep you small and afraid and isolated. And none of those are places where where we can grow and connect and experience joy and freedom. This next survey is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself stressed, depressed, and not well-dressed. And she writes, I drove a car for the first time today. My father was riding shotgun. To say the least, I wasn't excited. We drove down a desolate, twisty road near our cottage. I ended up accidentally making a wrong turn and had to make a three-point turn, which I have never done before, obviously. My father's constant stream of, what the fuck are you doing? Anyone can drive, and somehow you can't? You're not even listening to what I'm telling you. It's simple for fuck's sake, etc., etc., was making me so anxious that I found myself clutching the steering wheel so hard that my knuckles were white. I'm honestly surprised I didn't cry out of anger and dread. Luckily, I managed the turn. Later on, he's driving and we're pulling out of the driveway to our cottage. He wasn't looking carefully enough and he almost slid into a ditch. The side of the car scraped against a tree and the side mirror completely broke off. My dad just swore his head off and I had to get out and push. I had to turn my head away from him so I could laugh. That is fantastic. And I hope that you get some some type of support in your life um, to deal with, I'm sure, the negative voices in your head that your clearly abusive father has, uh, has planted. He sounds like a piece of work. Um... But I would like to be his insurance agent. This is a shame and secrets sur- uh, survey filled out by Ashley. And she is straight in her 20s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, uh, was the victim of sexual abuse, and never reported it. Uh, she writes, I was fond- fondled around uh, 14 uh, to 15 several times, but I'm not sure by who. My cousin had several friends around when I was a kid who it might have been, but I was always sleeping and woke up too late. Towards the end of it, I would know I would know it was happening, but keep my eyes shut to try to figure out who it was, but was too afraid to open my eyes. Part of me liked the game. Uh, She's been emotionally abused. I had a terrible stepdad who told me how bad I was at everything while constantly bragging about his own accomplishments. Uh, The day I would start a new hobby was the day he would tell me how I would never be any good at it because of X, Y, and Z. Again, he sounds like a terrific guy. Um, 
any positive experiences with the abusers. He got me into theater and film, which I really value. I can see now that he saw himself as a failure and was trying to protect me, but whatever. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck that it. Fuck that it? Oh, I think she left out an S-H-I-T. Fuck that shit. Um, man, the day I realized that I shouldn't take other people's shit personally, that it's usually some form of them yelling at themselves, uh, was such a freeing time. And, yeah. A darkest thought. Sometimes I consider getting paid for sexual things, tempting strangers in gross places like gas stations or pool halls. Darkest secrets. I've been arrested two times and no one knew. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Gang bangs, choking, cops or firemen, mean guys. Um, I wonder, does, do the cops and firemen, does that also include mall cops? Because that would be actually a lot more convenient than a cop cop. Um, you wouldn't have to worry about him running away. They get, they get called for an emergency much less frequently. Although I guess small town, shut up. Paul, shut up. Shut up. Your bid is over. It ran its course. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? It's hard to think of anything. I'm pretty blocked. What, if anything, do you wish for? That I'll finally figure out how to be open with my feelings and tell people I give a damn. Uh, have you shared these things with others? No, I'm trying starting this year, and it's been so, so hard. Uh, how do you feel after writing these things down a little better? Uh, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Life is short. If you can figure out a way to love other people openly, you can't waste any time. Wow. I love your survey, and um, I like your your odds of creating a life for yourself that is, has peace despite what is what is going on because you sound like you are committed to um, trying to break the cycle of abuse in your family and that's like one of the bravest things I think a person can do is is to put the work in um, when every fiber of our being wants to continue that cycle. The easiest thing in the world is to yell at people, to play the victim, uh, you know, to do all of that shit and then justify it. But uh, it sounds like you've, you're, like you're woke. Did I just use woke? Yeah, I did. Mean DJ is about to launch into me. I'm not going to have it. This is an email that I got from, uh, it says Sandra Fox. And uh, she writes, hello, I saw your profile on Facebook. I need to invest outside the UK. So I need someone honest to manage the business on my behalf. Do write back soon. Regards, Sandra Fox. Um, I've got to assume that she found me through the podcast and that she's listening, so I'm just going to speak to her. Um, you know, Sandra, when you said, I need to find someone who is honest, my heart sank a little bit because while I am 
clearly one of the finest business managers you will ever meet. I am an incredibly dishonest person. I will lie any chance I get. I lied on the census. I, I told them that my grandmother is still alive and that she's 117 and that I'm 115. And I'm actually not 115. I'm 137. I know you're saying, how can you be older than your grandmother? It's very complicated. But I am a Civil War veteran, so I'm a little old-fashioned. And if you're going to have me come aboard as your business manager, I just want to let you know I don't get around as quick as I used to because I'm mostly, you know, I'm I'm a little arthritic and I still go by horseback. Um, and I, there's just something in me. I have to stand in the saddle when I'm going by horseback and I use my free hand to play the trumpet. So it can be a little loud. Some people can find it a little jarring. And uh, often, to get across town, it'll take me about a month. So I'm often late for meetings. Um, but I'm a hard worker. Uh, I'm also, I'm going to be honest again, I'm a degenerate gambler. Um, I'm actually right now speaking to you um, from a blackjack table uh, that is also on the back of a horse. And... Um, that's actually a good thing because I've neither lost nor won any money because the cards keep falling out of my hands. But other than that, I think, oh, there's actually one more. I have some dental issues. I I only have one tooth, but thank God it's the front one. And it don't worry, it's it's beautiful. It's gleaming, gleaming white, but it is about 19 inches long. And, uh, and it's got a big chip on the bottom of it. I chipped it on my belt buckle. Um, I was riding that horse, and I decided to get crazy and play French horn instead of trumpet. It's a long story. But, again, it's a nice white tooth. Long. Yes, long. It's hard to look at. And it's it's canted. It's at, a, it's at an odd angle, and I think I need brace. I don't know if you call it. I need a brace. But there's nothing really, because it's the only tooth, there's nothing to grab on to pull it towards. So I haven't gotten that taken care of yet, and I might have to take time off from work to take care of that if you do hire me. And I'm good with Excel. So if you're interested, just email me back. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Mal Adapter. And he is straight in his 20s, raised in a stable and safe environment. He's never been sexually abused. Uh, he's never been physically or emotionally abused. Uh, darkest thoughts, intrusive sexual thoughts. These present as a flash right around the moment I see someone, especially if I feel they are off limits to so much as sexual thoughts, relatives, age, relationships to them, etc. It's 
almost always incredibly brief and may not even take the form of any particular act or image. It may just be the idea that this person could be considered in a sexual context. I have no real fear that I would ever act on these thoughts. And intellectually, I know that I am not choosing them and that they do not indicate some horrible flaw in me. However, my emotional self is taking much longer to absorb that concept. And as of now, I currently enjoy a reflexive wave of shame each time one of these comes up. I have made progress in this area, and the guilt and shame occur less frequently now. Well, that that is good. Um, and uh, any of anybody listening to this that relates to to what he said, you should listen to the episode with Kimberly Quinlan. It is so good, and it's about intrusive thoughts. Um, Darkest Secrets. Freshman and sophomore year in college, I lived in a co-ed dorm. One night, I happened to notice a pair of panties in someone else's finished laundry. I took them. I used them how you would expect. I'm far too ashamed to be precise here. This became something of a pattern, one to three times a semester. Every time I think about this, I feel a void open up underneath the bottom of my sternum at my diaphragm, pulling me into myself and hopefully out of reality. I fucking hate myself for this shit sometimes. I justified it to myself by thinking that the victims of my actions would not be directly affected by what I did other than monetarily. I know that's not true. I knew it then if I'm honest now. When this comes up in my mind, I feel trapped. Once I've reached peak uh, self-loathing, nothing I can do could undo what I did. I can't even do anything to make amends or apologize because to even attempt to do so would cause great harm. I'm pretty sure I'm not evil in my head, but in my heart, I know that my capacity for it is as great as my capacity for good, and I'm just scared that on balance, I end up on the wrong side of that spectrum. Uh, First of all, let me say, you do not sound like that type of a person. And I think every person listening to me read this thinks to themselves, well, he doesn't sound like he is the type of person that is still doing that. He seems as if he has seen the error of his ways and is genuinely sorry for that. And people who are uh, unrepentant and dangerous um, don't speak the way you did uh, do, and they don't feel the way that you do. Um, so I'm going to say it sounds like you're being unnecessarily hard on yourself because we all make mistakes and that happens to be one of yours. Um, and you're not doing it anymore, man. That's, that's the important thing. And, uh, the other part of, uh, his deep, deep secrets I wanted to read is, uh, He writes, at my second college that I transferred to, I was very lucky to be assigned a random roommate, I'll call him Chris, who happened to be a great guy that I'm still friends with today. We would often drink together and play video games. One night, he invited a girl from his class, we'll call her Sarah, uh, to join us. Uh, The night was going, as usual, for several hours, and we all got decently drunk. Slowly, Sarah and I began being pulled together physically like magnets, a hand on a hand, hand on a leg, arm around shoulder, and so on. We weren't getting handsy or anything, but it was the sort of touching that if you saw it at a party, you would assume they were hooking up later. My roommate didn't seem to notice this. I was a virgin at the time, so I was highly anxious about the situation in general and didn't want to disturb the vibe in any way. So I resisted the urge to ask my roommate to leave. We had a suite. We were hanging out in my room at the time. And instead, I decided to drink out of frustration. 
I became very drunk. Eventually, Chris left the room to go to bed, and Sarah and I climbed into my bed and cuddled. I laid there petrified and too drunk to think straight. I wanted to engage her, but I didn't know how. Finally, I gave in and kissed the back of her neck. She turned around, and we started making out and eventually having sex. Overall, the experience was awkward and unsatisfying, I think, for both parties, due to a number of factors, not the least of which were my struggle with the alcohol's effect on my body and my anxiety. At one point, she was on top, when out of nowhere, she said, stop, stop. So, of course, I stopped immediately. The only problem was that she was on top, and I wasn't going to throw her off the twin bed onto the floor, so I decided to lay flat as a board, unmoving with my arms at my side so that she had total freedom of movement. Sarah then immediately began sobbing and collapsed onto my chest, and my head Uh, Her words, stop, stop, were all I could hear over and over while I slowly lost my erection inside her. I wanted to give her a hug, but I thought that she might feel trapped by it, so I did nothing. I wanted to say something, but I was afraid I might hurt her somehow or worse than I already had, so I did nothing. I feel as though I did the bare moral minimum, but stopping when asked is obvious and not some great noble service. It is just what you do. What fucks me up about this is that another human being opened up their suffering to me in one of the most intimate ways imaginable, and I laid there and did nothing to comfort them. You know, it it, it is great that you seem like such a conscious person that this still bothers you. And as I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, number one, you aren't the source of her pain. And number two, you clearly didn't have the emotional tools to know how to deal with a situation like that. You were overwhelmed. And the important thing is that you respected her boundaries. And of course, ideally, it would have been great to have a script to comfort her or give her space or ask her what she needed or whatever whatever it was but you froze that's what people do sometimes and it's time to stop beating yourself up for it man you sound like a really fucking great guy and uh and you're being so hard on yourself said the pot to the kettle um Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Anything that feels tabooish to me, typically relating to dicks, femdom, shame, humiliation, uh, relates to religious upbringing that associated sex with shame in my mind. Uh, we should be friends, <laughs> you and I. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To everyone involved in my secrets, I'm sorry. What, if anything, do you wish for? Inner peace, being a little better today than yesterday, being of genuine service to others. Man, it sounds like all those seeds are already there inside yourself. It's time to just stop pissing on it with your shame and you're ruminating about the things that you can't change, said the pot to the kettle. Uh, have you shared these things with others? I have shared some of this with my therapist. He's incredible, and I've never felt judged by him. I think a lot of the reason I hold a lot of the things back is that part of me enjoys punishing myself for my past transgressions. It is a form of self-obsession. Uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? Drained, but also somewhat relieved. I feel like I know myself slightly better, which is calming. I do also feel in touch with the depth of my fear of being fundamentally bad, but I can just barely make out an exit through it to compassion. Um, Anything that you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? 
Get it out there. It can be to someone you feel safe with, a therapist, a friend, a family member, or it can be a journal no one else ever reads, or it can be interpretive dance, a painting, a sandcastle, a haircut. Did I say a sandcastle? <laughs> a haircut. Uh, express yourself. Even if you can only show it to yourself, you deserve to be seen, heard, and felt compassionately. And then I wanted to read this too. Do you have any comments to make the podcast better? Because this really touched me. He wrote, Paul, please take a deep breath and pat yourself on the back. You're dealing with some truly tough stuff right now, but you're not running from the scary feelings you're leaning into and exploring them. Beyond that, you're truly helping people like me on a weekly basis and beyond. I may be reading too much into what you share, but I suspect we have something in common. Yeah, you are not reading too much into it. It's easy to extend kindness to so many others, but we could never deserve that kindness ourselves. I would just love to hear you give yourself the same incredible empathy and love you give to others on the air. Thank you for that, and that's why I read that right there, as because that's a little uncomfortable for me to do it. But when I read it by myself, it felt good. So, um, and I want to look good. Let's be honest; I'm a narcissist. And then finally, this it, and thank you for your survey. It, it um, you just sound like a great guy. And then we have an awfulsome moment filled up by a woman who calls herself Unresolved Issues. And uh, she writes, In the fulfillment of several lifelong dreams, last year I cut off contact from my abusive family, abandoned my rather straight-jacketed life as a classical, classical musician, took the LSAT, started going to AA, and gave myself the gift of moving temporarily to France. I thought it would be several months of relaxation and fun, teaching English grammar to adorably compliant schoolchildren. I thought there would be profundity and whimsy in equal measure. In short, I guess, I naively expected a seven-month-long working holiday. Unfortunately, my work there was chaotic and underpaid, my living situation was isolating, and I developed mysterious health problems, including a painful case of cystic acne, from trying to manage the stress and disorientation all on my own. I ran out of money with all the inconclusive medical visits, and French doctors were rude and dismissive. The day of my last checkup with a specialist was also the day that I overheard my students in the hallway making fun of my accent when they thought I was out of earshot. It was a one-two punch of total invalidation. No matter how sick I felt, the doctors wouldn't take me seriously, and no matter how much I tried to integrate into the educational culture, my students judged me and found fault. The acne was so disfiguring that I was too embarrassed to go out and meet new people. Walking home from work that afternoon, I was so beset with sadness, worry, and nausea that some old suicidal thoughts started to rear up in my mind. I had always wanted to live in France, and I'd finally gotten to do it. The fact that it wasn't working out must be because I was just bad, flawed, idiotically lame. You know the drill. Just as I was thinking, I can't take this anymore. I walked head-on into a street sign. I hit my face so hard that I started to cry and I couldn't hold back. I never cry in public, and not often in private, but the floodgates were open and it was all I could do to hide my acne-encrusted face under my scarf and hope that passerby would either ignore me or not notice. 
For several minutes, most of them did. However, I raised my head when I heard a kind voice asking me if I was okay. I blinked through tears and the watery blur resolved itself into a man who looked to be about 40 with shaggy dark hair, crow's feet, and black eyes. For some reason, I knew that he was not a weirdo and that I was safe. He asked me if I needed someone to talk to, and as I looked at him, I forced myself to stop sobbing, rearranged my face into the not-crying position, and said, yes. Imagine someone to talk to. A lot of my, quote, friends have never even offered me that. We went to a cafe nearby, and over a coffee, I asked him question after question, mainly to avoid talking about myself because I was afraid that I might start to cry again. He was a circus juggler. He told me that he had just come home from a trip to New Zealand where he had gone to learn the haka. Haka? Haka? H-A-K-A. He said it was his way of grieving the loss of someone very dear to him. I didn't ask whom, as it didn't seem right at the moment. We talked about juggling as a metier. I think I'm pronouncing that right, the French word metier, M-E-T-I-E-R. The haka as form of empowerment, and how climbing trees as children made us into the people we are now. I was wondering if he'd try to make a pass at me at the end of the conversation, but to my delight and relief, he didn't. He wished me well and said, I know that there's dog shit all over the ground here in France, and you do have to watch out for it, but remember that sometimes the sky is blue. You don't want to miss those days. And we both started to laugh, and that was that. It is no exaggeration to say that the spontaneous kindness of this man, the rightness of his intuition about what I needed, and the fact that I went from despair to laughter in the course of our conversation shook me out of my complacency about many things in life. I am so grateful to him, and even for the suffering that led up to the encounter, it gave me this sense that our otherwise absurd universe does occasionally offer us these tiny, unforeseen gifts of kindness. I'd like to think that I am more attuned to them since that moment, and the thought of myself walking head-on into a street sign does still make me laugh. God, that is so, that is so beautifully expressed, written, whatever the fancy word is for it. But um, not only a beautiful moment, but thank you for putting it together in such a great way. Um, and those of you that have never filled out an awfulsome moment or a happy moment survey, please go do that. It's, it's just like a Christmas present to me when I get one that just really um, just opens me up and and it's just also a nice counterpoint to the darkness sometimes that we read on the podcast. And, um, and sometimes they're just plain entertaining. So, um, that's one of the ways you could support the show. If you, if you don't have any money or you just don't feel like it, fill out an awfulsome moment or a happy moment survey or any survey. But, um, Thank you for for sharing that that story. And um, did I mention I'm going to uh, Your Rope in July? I'm going to be in Dublin for, I think, probably about five days. And um, actually, Ireland in general for about probably about a week. I uh, got a bunch of Irish listeners I want to record. And I might uh, dip down into uh, other parts. Um, uh 
maybe into England and record a couple more English guests. I'm not, I'm not sure yet, but I, I do want to go. Uh, I'm thinking about going to, um, either Austria or Croatia, uh, or Germany after that, but I'm still kind of up in the air. I'm leaning towards Croatia, but, um, if you have any inclination to help fund this trip, um, there's a link on the show notes, uh, where you can chip in that way. But, um, uh, yeah, if you are somebody who is in the path of some of those places I'm going, um, and you would like to be considered to be interviewed, uh, shoot me an email. And uh, you can do it through the website or just email me directly, uh, mentalpod at gmail.com. And uh, give me some broad strokes of your story, uh, what town or city you live in, and um, and what type of hat you like to wear in the fall. I know that's like, it seems like an odd request, but that's usually the deal breaker for me. Um, <laughs> I should go back and edit that, but I'm not going to. Because I'm embracing who I am. Ugh. All right. Just never forget your uh, whatever it is you're going through, man. The, the, while the situation might be unique, the feelings aren't, and uh, and you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.